don't wait till it gets like super crazy and we have like only a few choices available to be able to save a certain amount of people on the planet Earth. Let's save as many people on the planet by actually taking action now. Right. And taking action now means restoring the balance both internally and externally. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. One of the coolest things about my job as the host of the Lifestylist Podcast is always being on the cutting edge and not only finding out the best products when it comes to health, but the best companies that are making those products. Now, I'm someone that's been into bee products for a really long time. And if you heard episode 175 with Carly Stein, you got to hear me totally geek out on my obsession with bees and bee products. If you haven't heard that one, by the way, go back and check it out. That's 175. But what I didn't know about bee products is A, how many different products bees actually make in a hive, what their different uses are in terms of health support, and also that there are just a lot of companies that are making products that are very inferior. Either they're weak or they're not tested for pesticides and things like that. So the whole like bee product game, I thought I was pretty on top of and I got schooled in that episode and now I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself and I'm using all of the products from Beekeepers Naturals. So they've got a few that I'm really into. There's the propolis, which is kind of like the medicine of the hive. Then you've got, of course, the bee pollen, which is the food. That's the protein. It's actually the highest protein food on the planet. And it's also got free-forming amino acids. So it's great for pre-workout, for muscle recovery. And then, of course, the raw honey, which is amazing. And I thought I knew something about honey. It's got live enzymes. You know, if you take a little bit before you go to bed, it helps you sleep. There's some things like that. But it turns out honey is a legit superfood if you get it from the right company. It's full of antioxidants and it's just insanely powerful. Then you've got royal jelly. Now, royal jelly is the chronic stuff. That's the food that's exclusively made for the queen bee. So the queen bee lives about 40 times longer than the average worker bee. So put the math together there and you'll know that royal jelly is some badass stuff. And if you want to try all of these products that the bees make in one, I'm going to recommend Bee Powered by Beekeepers Naturals. That's one of my favorites. Now, honestly, I go through it a little too fast. It comes in a jar and I just like pound that stuff. I probably weigh OD on it. You don't need to do it like I do it. You can savor it and make it last. That's an amazing product and a really great way for you to get an introduction into all of the bee products in one jar. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. That's beekeepersnaturals.com and the code is LIFESTYLIST. All right, folks, I'm about to bust out one of my secrets here. You ready for this? People often wonder how I'm able to record sometimes three or four podcasts in one day and stream them all on social media and do all of the crazy things I do. If you follow me on Instagram, uh, my life is quite busy and somehow I managed to keep it together. Well, my secret weapon, or at least one of them, is the Four Sigmatic Lion's Mane Coffee. 
Now, I don't always have time to brew up some whole beans, put them in the French press, put the butter in there, do the whole thing, make myself that fatty kind of elixir. But what I do always have time for is to bust out one of the little lion's mane coffee packets from Four Sigmatic, throw that in some hot water, even sometimes when I'm like in a rush and just need to make things happen, some cold water, shake it up, stir it up, blend it up, and I'm good to go. Now, what's cool about the lion's mane coffee is that it's an instant coffee, but it doesn't have any of the toxins of like your grandma's like Folgers instant coffee. By the way, don't ever eat that stuff. Super, super toxic. <laughs> instant coffees are generally really bad for you, but not this one. What's really cool about the Four Sigmatic instant coffee is that you get you get like a, a balanced stimulation. So it's coffee without the jitters. The lion's mane sort of calms down the hit of caffeine. So that's why I really like this product. Um, this has been used for a long time by Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation. And this is just a beautiful mushroom and a modern day favorite for someone like me who likes to get creative, but also stay focused. And all of Four Sigmatic's mushrooms are dual extracted, meaning that you get the water-soluble and fat-soluble nutrients. And in non-geeky terms, that just means that they're really badass and that they do it right. So if you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do, here's what's up. You go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. If you throw some of that Lion's Mane coffee in your shopping cart and then enter the code Luke Story, you're also going to save 15% off. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. Your discount code is also Luke Story. Enjoy. Happy goddamn New Year, ladies and gentlemen. We're back at you with the first episode of 2020. Can you believe we've made it here to this point? in space and time. It brings me much pleasure to present Shaman Durek to you as our premier guest and a second time appearance here on the show. Durek is a spiritual guide, a very gifted healer, and he acts as a mediator or bridge between the spiritual and physical planes. He applies ancient spiritual wisdom coupled with decades of devoted study and practice to help bring success, happiness, and healing into people's lives, including my own. I think we tell the story during the interview of the first time we met, and he came over and did his whole treatment on me, and it was super out of this world. Uh, he also recently published an amazing book called Spirit Hacking, which reveals the life-altering wisdom and powerful teachings that have made him a close spiritual advisor to celebrities like Nina Dobrev, as well as Innovative executives like Bulletproof Coffee founder and past guest here, Dave Asprey. Sharing the rich legacy of ancient wisdom in a modern context, Dirk offers readers of his book, Spirit Hacks, to help banish fear and darkness in favor of light, positivity, and strength. And that's what we do in this here conversation. But before I get into the details of that, we've got a little housekeeping this Friday, there will be a special solo Q&A show, as I've been doing, getting a really great response for those. So I'm going to keep them coming as long as I can. <laughs> I get questions out of the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group, which you should, of course, join. That's the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. And um, join there and ask questions, and I'll answer them on a future show. So this week, I'm covering biohacking your car, how to do nature therapy in cold winter climates, and my best and worst personal vices, which is one of the questions. Then Sunday, we've got a bonus show, which is a rebroadcast of my 
appearance on the Den Talks podcast from the Den Meditation folks, which is a really great conversation. Then Tuesday, back to our regular programming with EMF Solutions, Harmonizing Your Home and Travel with Soma Vedic. A lot of people are interested in the EMF topic, as am I, always trying to find a balance between awareness and paranoia. And I think uh, Tuesday's episode is going to do a really great job of bridging that gap. Here's what we talk about in this episode with my friend Durek. Escaping the age of narcissism. What does and doesn't make someone a shaman? Why every experience you've gone through is part of your training to become who you are now. Developing healthy skepticism while maintaining an open mind. A dive into the spirit hacking book glossary covering topics like the blackout, bobbleheads, and the matrix. Uh, Durek has this whole language he's kind of invented, which is fascinating and um, really great to go through. That was one of my favorite parts of this conversation. Confronting the seemingly conflicting desires to be a force for good in the world and finding the balance of just doing your inner work, which led us into the discussion of one of my favorite George Carlin bits where he talks about the futility of humans thinking they can save the planet. Uh, so you'll definitely want to hear that take and, and go to the show notes and watch the George Carlin piece. It's quite hilarious uh, and, and darkly true. Shaman Dirk's lineage and living as a sixth generation shaman and the craziest experiences he had as a child. There's a lot of Dirk's story in here and um, just kind of how he started to understand that he had these gifts these abilities, talents, powers as a kid and what it was like to try to fit in with that is a really, it's like kind of a heart-wrenching story. Obviously, he came out on top and is doing his damn thing now, but um, he just has had a fantastic life and I've never heard him talk so much about it uh, as we did in this conversation. Very, very candid and uh, vulnerable recount of what his life has been like. Uh, dealing with the ramifications of being different, et cetera, uh, what it's like to be dating a princess of the royal family of, I think it was, was it Denmark, I, I believe? So very, very interesting stuff there. Or Norway, Norway. Yeah, that's it. I always get those two confused. The role of plant medicines in Africa and in Shaman Durek's training. Why Durek doesn't have respect for religions as a whole, but does have much love for the Bible we talk about my appreciation of a book called Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox and the spiritual teachings within. Learning how to reconcile the idea that there's a loving God energy existing in the universe, but also the existence of the utmost evil. Shaman Dirk's thoughts on the physical, societal, spiritual, and epigenetic expressions of racism. How to block and bless haters and trolls. And finally, why Durek identifies as a soul sexual person. So this is going to be a very tantalizing conversation, my friends. And I recorded this a couple months ago and I've been sitting on it because I wanted to find the perfect placement. And the perfect placement was kicking off 2020 with this conversation. So fasten your seatbelt, sit back and enjoy this deep dive into the soulful world of Shaman Durek. Derek, my man, what is happening? Hi, Luke. <laughs> Here we are again. I know. Last time when we were at your house for four or five hours, I think. Oh, dude, that was... Yeah, we went all night. I think we did a double header where I was on your podcast, you were on mine. And we did healing. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a, good stuff. It was a whole extravaganza. And that's why... 
sometimes people don't know what I mean when I'm like, do you have a heart out after this? Like, do I need to be aware of any time frame? And if they say no, it could be a four hour podcast. It just depends where it goes. But um, today, at least we're getting a fairly early start. It is um, 3.44 p.m. in California. So if we start now, at least we know we're not going to be up all night. <laughs> so those watching on YouTube, by the way, you can watch 99.9% .9 of my interviews on YouTube. And for those of you watching the video here, you will see Shaman Dirk's beautifully designed cover of his new book, Spirit Hacking. So let's just jump right into how excited you are about your book. What's up with that? <laughs> I'm very excited, but I'm more excited about the information that people are going to get. You know, I mean, for me, the idea of putting a book and creating a book wasn't so much about me as more as it was about the people. And, you know, and so I, I look at the narrative of when I do something that it's always in alignment to giving back the power back to people, you know, and I know that, you know, this book, it's not my book. It's our book. It's not, nothing belongs to me. You know, I have this whole model that nothing, you know, nothing belongs to me. It's like, it's the idea of like everything pours into me and I pour it out to everyone else. And I'm just, I'm just that, you know, that pitcher that's pouring and constantly getting filled up by spirit and then pouring and nothing belongs to me. And I think, you know, for me, that was more of the love message that I that I needed for myself to truly see the the fruition of you know our book come into into play, and I'm really happy. I'm really happy about it. I know that I can be a bit controversial, and I know that I can be very much like, you know, like here's my viewpoints on things from as a, from my shamanic perspective. But at the same time, I make it fun. I make it playful, and you know, and also I make the things very short based on my dyslexia. I make things very short in it so people can read little vignettes and not have to read these long, drawn out, boring stories. But I, I really really want it to be relatable to where we are right now in our modern culture. I think that's one thing I liked about the book because as we were saying before we started recording, you know, the, I always get like the, what do they call it? The galley copy, like the, you know, the preview copy of books when people come on the show and they sit on my shelf and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to read it. And then I look on my calendar and it's like, ding, you have a recording with Shaman Dirk. I'm like, oh shit, I haven't read the book. So I, I actually really liked that yours is that way because I'm a little bit on the, I mean, I don't clinically have ADD, but long shit is not my jam. Like I like to just not take bite-sized pieces. So I was like, oh, sick. It was really easy to actually kind of jump around and you have really good catchy um, titles for the different sections of the book and the different things you go into. And it's like, it very much draws you in. You're like, oh, what's this one about? Like one of the things I thought was really cool about it, and I'm gonna totally go, <laughs> I'm gonna totally go out of order, but I thought this was so cool is you have um, like a glossary of terms that you use in your book. So like the blackout, the matrix, the Maya, bobblehead, keeping it on blaze, the lit train, like all the shit that I hear you say in, in when we hang out and uh, on your social media yeah, and whatnot. keeping it lit. Yeah, but I thought that that was kind of funny that you, you actually laid that out. And then later in the book, as you're using these terms, people know what that means. So 
right off the bat, um, break down uh, what's a bobblehead? So a bobblehead is someone who basically is so used to just taking information in and saying yes to it without actually giving it any kind of thought or holding it up against the lens of unconditional love. So bobbleheads are people who just say yes to everything that's thrown at them because they want to feel safe and comfortable in their uncomfortable. And, you know, so when you think of a car and you have those, like what I loved about the fifties where they had like these, these heads, the bobbleheads that would bobble in the car. Like, right, like those little hula dancers. Yeah. And shit. So yeah, that's a bobblehead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. So I always had a, you know, the baseball one with the head just going like this while you're driving, you know, and it's right. just a bobblehead, you know, it's just, you're a bobblehead. You, you don't, you don't, hold up information and bring, you know, an understanding of what it is you're actually being told and fed. You're, you're just taking it in and saying yes to it, you know? And as children, we were all bobbleheads because we were told to obey certain rules without asking our parents, did you hold this up against the, le- the lens of unconditional love? How do we know the information you're giving us is actually vital information that, is, that has been tested under the field of unconditional love for the sake of my my growth and for the sake of my ability to adapt on planet earth they don't they just take whatever from each ancestor and each ancestor and each ancestor and they keep bobbling their heads all the way until it gets to you and so then we become the anomalies we become the black sheep we become you know the the outcast the ones who break the rules you know we do things outside of that perimeter and that paradigm because we're meant to defy the system and that's how you see the new leaders. That is the, the new leadership isn't based in, um, you know, just one person. The new leadership is based in millions of people recognizing self-actualization while on the journey to self-actualization. And that in itself is something to be happy about. I like that. Uh, my version of bobblehead is sheeple. Right? It's like- That's exactly what it when is. When you watch a herd of sheep, it's like one, at, one little ass dog can wrangle, you know, a hundred head of sheep on a mountaintop and the sheep don't know that if they just turned around and all rammed the dog, that they would outnumber the dog. But they just blindly are kind of led to slaughter or shearing to make wonderful comforters. Um, But sheeple is kind of, and the bobblehead thing I think is, is starting to become dismantled. And I want to get your take on this. I think largely because, and I'm not giving myself sole credit here, obviously, but people like me and like you that are, having the freedom to put out a book or put out a podcast or have a YouTube channel or have a social media following and have a point of view that's outside of the matrix that is free and not beholden to corporate interests. Where like when I grew up, when you grew up, I mean, it's like whatever's on the TV and radio is bought and in the school system is bought and paid for. And you're being fed what information, the powers that be behind those entities want you to believe. Mm -hmm. And now we're sort of like, you know, in the position where there's a lot of information that's from three free thinking people. So we have the ability to unplug and not be bobbleheads yeah. and not be sheeple. What about the flip side of that though, in that many of us now that are seekers of truth are more easily misled because anyone now can have a platform and a microphone. And that means a lot of people that are also full of shit, like the mainstream media largely has been and continues to be that there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of snake oil and misleading people out there that have a voice because no one's holding them accountable. Absolutely. I think there's an unfortunate um, disposition for those who are 
holding the torch for realness and authenticity. I think that the quality of human beings on the planet are moving through the age of narcissism. So through the age of narcissism, the idea is to glorify, to be seen, to be liked, to be loved, and to be honored and to have value. And through that through that context, you get to learn about like what it is you really are about and what it is that really moves you or motivates you or stimulates you or allows you to shine your best light or you know whatever the, the situation may be. So when we're dealing with a lot of the people with the snake oil and so forth, they're, they're also playing a role for people to get more clarity within their heart space, right? Because your brain space technology, your heart space technology, they have to be functional together. And the idea of that is recognizing, like for instance, I, a woman said to me, well, how do I know a shaman is really a shaman? Well, you'll know because a real shaman is trained in the understanding of loving and honoring creation through what creation creates. And that means that there's a great love and connection that is created um, individually and collectively. So my relationship to this beautiful plant or to an animal is not seen as an indifference or something that's different. We see it with the same reverence that I have for you. The energy of connection is also realizing that no matter who, what culture it may be or however the observance of God may be perceived or source or however spirit or however people want to acknowledge the creator, However it is, there is an acknowledgement of unconditional love and acceptance for humanity through the process of the connection. So the connection goes deeper than just saying hi or whatever. It's how I connect with you, how I hug you, how we interact. You know, these are really um, important factors. So when you're dealing with a shaman, that's the first key in the base energy of shamanism. You can't be a shaman, not because you're in a tribe, not because the tribe chooses you to be a shaman. That's not what makes you a shaman. What makes you a shaman is the spirits choose you. And they choose you by looking for certain characteristics in your behavior that is operating in the field of all-inclusive, all-love, all-present, all-connected, all-recognizing that the, the beauty and the essence of all things are valuable. The wind is valuable. The sun is valuable. So when you see shamans drumming and dancing and celebrating, they're celebrating this union, this connection. So that's the first thing you look for. Then you also look at how much how much time they did they did they do the internal love for themselves to cultivate within their their lineage, be indigenous or non-indigenous. How much time have they cultivated in whatever it is that they're bringing forth to the public? Because there is a certain level of accountability and there's a certain level of reference to how one perceives information versus how someone else perceives information has to come from a place of constant inspection. Um, through the heart, through the conscious, and through spirit. So, you know, when you when you think about it, everyone since the time they were a child are, you know, learning things, you know, from you know, having intense breakups to, you know, starting and 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 ending a business or whatever it may be. And you actually getting your your master's, your your PhD, your AA, your, you know, your associate's degree in these types of situations. However, on our planet, we only associate anything institutionalized as a degree of acceptance for the value of knowledge and the aptitude of information that you've gained and used and, and, and created uh, an understanding for. However, was, as we move forward in our evolution and we learn how to thrive and adapt and become more, um, uh, you know, not so codependent, but much more independent in the nature of our being, and we operate as a sustainable human being, we begin to start looking at all of those fine qualities that every pain in every situation you went through in life was a part of your training to be who you are. And so we always want to look at uh, that factor and that's what we hold it up against when we deal with, you know, 
snake people or people who are pretending, you can tell a pretender because their wisdom is, is regurgitated. It's flat. They're not bringing new symbols, new healing techniques. They're not bringing new things to the forefront. They're just copycatting everything that they've heard and they're just sharing it with the, with the people. So that, those are what I call messengers of, of information that's already been created. A person who's operating like you and I are operating, we're here to dive deeper than where consciousness that has been created and formulated on earth feels comfortable to dive. That means going into the unknown without any preconceived ideas of what we're going to experience. As a Lakota Indian, a Native American said to me once, um, which is going into the canoe without taking your oars with you and trusting that the great spirit will lead you to where you need to be. <laughs> that's, that's so funny that you put that uh, in that way, because that's often how I think about living a surrendered life, but a surrendered life that still has action, right? Because there's one surrendered life. That's the life of the renunciate, the yogi that goes and crawls into a cave in the Himalayas and disappears forever. And very few people come and get the benefit of the insights of that said yogi. And then there's the one that's actually out there doing the work. And that is also surrendered work, right? So you get in that canoe, but you're still going down the goddamn river. You're just not controlling. You know, you're going in the general direction, but without the oars, you're leaving a lot of that up to nature and spirit, which I think is a really, mm-hmm. it's a really cool way to look at that. So with the bobblehead and the sheeple situation, and now that we're, we're able to unplug from the matrix of the, the institutional um, paradigm of learning that you just described, which not all of that has been untrue, but there's a lot of questions yet to be answered in terms of, you know, what we're really doing here on the planet and how everything works. Right. So by using prudence and discernment, a combination and what you're saying, I'm, if I'm going to boil it down is like, we have to develop that heart intuition, that heart space of a vibrational atonement with truth, but then also some intellect too, because you could fall for say a false prophet just because they make you feel good. Right. And you're, you're leaving your head out of the equation. You're not using your intellect. Like, wait, that doesn't actually add up. But if you just rely on the head, then you get caught up in intellectualizing. You don't trust anything because, you know, so many things in the world of spirit are beyond the linear intellect and our capacity to understand something mentally. It's like you have to throw the mentality out of it and leave with your heart. So in your view, then it's a combination of the two where you learn how to integrate your God-given intelligence, mentally speaking, but also with that spiritual intelligence and that heart-centered living to find truth and root it out and root out authenticity because we have such an abundance of information available to us now. I mean, you can open the podcast app, man, or open, you know, Audible and all the books you can get and I'm everything. You know, all the documentaries on Netflix and everything that's even outside of kind of, you know, turning on NBC and getting brainwashed as we know you pretty much are, that we have so much information available. How do we navigate that and make sure that we're not misled? Right. So, and I also think there's a I think there's a point um where when you navigate that information, right? Because I, I believe in being data open and I'm very data open. I'm open to all information, but there is a healthy skeptic in me. And that healthy skeptic always follows under their line, which is 
Does it help me to adapt better on earth? Does it make things easier for me to subtract the things I do not need on earth so that I can have more joy with friends, happiness with my family, um, grandparents, observe plants, be in nature, you know, ride horses, whatever it is to really take in and soak in life. And then the other is, is it moving our species in a way where we're coming more and more aware of the process of acceptance to the degree of unconditional love and self-preservation for our species, for animals, for the mineral kingdom, and for the natural environment in a way that we're not over-consuming, we're not operating in a very me attitude, we're operating in a we attitude. And the wisdom that we are pulling in is operating from everything that I contribute to life is to forward our species in, into higher levels of evolution and, um, and understanding. So I want to cover a couple of other terms in your glossary. Uh, you talk about the blackout and the matrix. What are those? So the blackout is when the magnetic energy on the planet becomes um, more frequency intense. And anything that's been held out of the field of unconditional love has to magnetize through the surface of consciousness to be um, uh, how do you say, re re-identified in the process of imbalance or balance. So the quality and the nature of humanity has been stuffing and denying and keeping their heads in the sands and not taking responsibility for the things that we've been doing and operating from and just going ahead and saying it's okay that you know we're doing all of these things to ourselves because someone else is going to fix it someone else is going to do something with it and so what's happening on a planetary level is Gaia is setting a call to wake up more people who are sleeping shamans and telling them wake up and bring the message of of collective connection um, understanding of, of you know sustainability understanding of preservance right because to preserve ourselves is to preserve the earth because the quality of earth will not change. Earth can freeze over and be fine. It's just we will not be able to survive. So the blackout is a period of time to bring all of these things to the front and center of our consciousness so that we can identify them, not from a place of judgment, not from a place of we are bad people or we did horrible things, but from a place of how do we correct the imbalances that we've created, what technologies are supporting humanity and which ones are distorting them, and what types of things need to be upgraded in our systems, be it our education, our government, or do we need a government in the way that we have it? Whatever these things are, they are looked at and brought through the lens of love for the sake of love. So what happens is the blackout starts, um, you know, with a smaller magnetic energy field. And so it just becomes kind of like this lingering thing where people start feeling like uh, things are happening in the world and we need to change. And then it gets stronger and then it gets stronger and then it gets stronger. And when it gets stronger to the point where even nature begins to shift and change itself to make us look at how we're affecting the geographical and, you know, the, the energy of the planet and how we're operating with the planet, with ourselves and with the animals and with the natural kingdom. And then it goes even stronger. And then you're talking about earthquakes, cataclysmic experiences, um, all of these different things, which will affect our lives. The idea of the blackout is to shake up and wake us up. It's to shake up and wake up. And I don't care what anyone says. People can say, oh, you have such a doomsday mentality, Shaman Dirk. No, I don't. I have what is called a realness mentality. The realness mentality is, yes, there is desertification happening on the planet. Yes, we are um, having human migration building and it will build in the next two years to such a level that we have to start making space for other people and borders that we don't, we've been defining that they're not allowed to cross. We have to start looking at the share quality of life versus this is mine, this is mine, this is mine 
mind to this is ours and we can share this together and we can eat together. I have food to share with you. You know, uh, people get so stuck in the entitlement of things that Whole Foods is always gonna be there. Their restaurants are always gonna be there. This thing is always gonna be there. And that's not reality. And in order for us to be able to shift into new paradigms, we have to be willing to be fluid and flexible enough to handle the changes that are happening right now. And the reason why people get so uh, worked up when they see like, the burnings of the rainforest and everyone's like freaking out. Oh my God. And like, you know, all when the Twin Towers fell and all this stuff, when the blackout first started making itself known through the magnetic um, um, change to release the discourse that we've created, the discord, so we can bring it back into accord. We, people started going into uh, this kind of like, well, I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. Let someone else is going to fix it. And it's that same mentality like, Jesus is going to come and save everything. The government's going to fix it for me. You know, something's going to come do something for me. No, people. People, you have the power to create these changes. And so what's happening is the blackout is making such a, a, a redirection recourse in our trajectory on how we're living on planet Earth that we have two choices. We either one, heed the call of Gaia, which is asking for us to take full responsibility, which means in shamanism, the ability to show up with love and begin to course correct the situations that we have created, not um, mitigate it, however, eliminate it so that we are able to steer this planet into the fifth dimension. Or we choose not to, we hold an entitlement. We think we're better than everyone's hierarchy games and I'm a guru and you're this and I'm that and I got so many likes on Instagram and everybody's doing all these very unnecessary things because of the age of narcissism, which is actually ending in two years. This will then plummet us further down into the spiral and the uh, to the point where we won't be able to inhabit ourselves on this planet. And that will be unfortunate. And I don't believe it's gonna go that way because I've lived in many different existences of Earth's experiences. And I have seen how humans always wait to the moment where things get really drastic and then they start doing it. And so the reason why I wanted to create this book for all of us was to say, don't wait till it gets like super crazy and we have like only a few choices available to be able to save a certain amount of people on the planet Earth. Let's save as many people on the planet by actually taking action now. Right, And taking action now means restoring the balance both internally and externally. That means what? That means putting women back into their positions of power because women see operation and consciousness of quantum energy. They see the inner and outer discourse of energy. That means they can walk into a room and they can tell you all the possible dangers that can possibly take place. Men are structural supporters. They are great at building structure and they're great at design and operating a field of consciousness that allows there to be a step-by-step -step process to get to some desire or some idea and through the magnification of their own feminine um, non-resistance will allow them to integrate the process of the feminine exchange to allow us to be a cohesive unit, not this male versus women kind of thing that we have going on, but much more of a unified um, field of consciousness where men and women are operating both their masculine and feminine energies into oneness and the synergistic energies of that allow us to go outside of the box of what we would normally think as individual polarities to a collective polarity, which allows us us to be able to see things we didn't even consider is possible because the unknown remains unknown when we are not operating in a synergistic field.
So if we operate in polarity, polarity, we're still dealing with, you know, um, this whole quantum entanglement. We're still dealing with like right versus wrong, good versus bad, black versus white, women versus men. And this has created a lot of distortion and created a lot of symptoms that we keep focusing on when we keep ignoring the real symptom, which is the sickness that we have inside of us as human beings. And that sickness is this. When you come to this planet, the matrix was built on the idea of having creating a code in your subconscious mind that basically makes it so that you destroy your own resources, destroy your own people, and, and, and separate your own people by the nature of you believing that your creator could destroy you. If the idea that your creator could destroy you and the idea that your creator could hurt you or toss you into hell or get rid of you or that you've done something wrong with this very Santa Claus mentality of God, you create what we call a creator cell code that sits in the subconscious part of your mind and you don't even realize that you're actually sabotaging and creating these things yourself in relationships, the way you interact with other people, the way you build your communities and everything, it's happening unconsciously. So the reason why shamans are asked to come back to the planet is because we deal with the subconscious. We deal with the, the unknown, what's, he, what's hidden behind the, you know, the curtain of the things that you and most people on the planet don't want to look at. And that's a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with it. You know, some, I'm going to say everybody, but some people have written me and they have a hard time with, uh, with Spirit Hacking Book because I'm saying things to you that you will understand in seven to six years. Some people will understand it right away because they've done the internal love. But the people who haven't done the internal love, they're like, this guy's arrogant. Who does he think he is? You know, what is he talking about? Da, 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 da. They don't understand that some of the greatest innovators, the greatest scientists, the greatest change makers on our planet were all considered black magic, arrogant, crazy, lunatic, under lunacy, basing on the moon, and all of these different things. And so the blackout is a representation of saying, hey, this is the time now. We had enough time to kick back and relax and watch the boob tube and hang out and go to the beach and do all these things. But we want to sustain life on this planet. It requires each and every one of us to see our leadership and not to, to copycat another person, but to go into that place of who you are and pull out all the powers that represent you as an individual. Because creation does not duplicate. Creation does not uh, you know, create the, the same same. Each of us has a code inside of us that unlocks something so powerful that benefits each of us. And we all have something to share with one another. I'm no greater than any other person on this planet. No, I don't care if you're the dialogue. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of names you have and how many, if you're a doctor, this and, and scientist, this and whatever. You are on this planet together. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're shitting, you're a human being. Wake up and face the, what's going on and stop using your, 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 hi, your hierarchies and whatever to make it seem as if you have it all figured out because you don't because you're in a human body. So learn that all of us are here. We're all in the mud together and we all have to get out of this mud. And the only way we're going to do it is through teamwork. And that's what makes the dream work. <laughs> As you're, each time you give me an answer, it's there's so much in there that at different points, I'm like, I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to pull that out. There's too many things to pull out, but I'm going to pull out one thing here because this is something that I observe in the idea of activism and being a steward of the planet and of... Um, um, disenfranchised peoples and protecting the animals and all of that is that I sense that oftentimes people with an earnest heart 
because they are a loving, caring entity underneath all of their personality, can use ideas such as saving the planet. Let's just have a big one. Um, And getting involved in activism and all of that stuff as a means by which to really avoid the the deep inner work that they need to do. And so, you know, like I don't get involved in, this is my activism. Can we change work to love? (laughs) Yeah. It's in the book. Okay. So uh, what I'm getting at here is I see so many well-meaning people thinking that, you know, my job is to save the planet. And it's like doing my own work. What I found is like, my job is to fix the relationship with my mom. My job is to forgive my father. My job is to reconcile relationships that are unhealed. My job is to um, learn how to live in a more, um, a way that's less motivated by ego, to learn through meditation, to have that degree of separation and discernment so that I can come from a place of love and not just my survival instincts, et cetera. In other words, to be the change you want to see in the world. That's always the mm-hmm. thing I go back to. And so I know what my mission is. My mission is not to be in downtown LA with the picket sign going like, ah, no, no, you know, no. that's just not my jam and nothing against those people. But I'm always sort of like, um, I'm always thinking about like, where's the, you know, where's the balance between wanting to be proactive and be a force for good and also like, man, work on your own shit. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, It's like, dude, you can't even get along with your Aunt Tina and you're out trying to save the goddamn world. Like, let's start with the internal work, uh, facing the shadow, going through your, you know, the many dark nights of the soul that we all have to go through. And so I, I don't know if it's a question, it's just, it's an observation that I think- It's a very brilliant observation. A lot of kind of naive, well-meaning people get caught up in trying to fix the external. Meanwhile, as you said, I mean, we can have a million ice ages. The planet doesn't need us to save it. And I'm someone who deeply cares about nature, animals, the planet. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with- the planet and its gifts. But at the same time, I know in any moment, the planet could swallow up everything that civilization has built. It just melts into the magma and it's like, we were never even here. Exactly. So it's like, there's a George Carlin clip. Please, you guys, my producers in the show notes, find me this George Carlin clip for the, for the, um, it's kind of pessimistic, but it's really true. He's like, dude, you're going to save the fucking planet. You know, the planet's fine. Thank you. So where, so where's the fine line between that? And like, I don't litter dude dog. Like I recycle every goddamn thing. I, I hate wasting anything. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I love the planet. I, I want to, my motto in life is leave my campsite better than when I found it. Mm. And that includes all my relationships, everything I do. Hopefully, of course, you know, I fail at that sometimes, but it's like, I don't know. I just, my worldview on like how to save the planet and change the world and all this, it's like the world that I'm seeing is not even real. The world that I see that I think needs to be changed is a projection of my own consciousness where I could look at the president right now and be like, I need to change the world. It's like, no, I don't even know what the fuck is going on at those upper levels. I know what TV tells me and I know what alternative media tells me, but what change that needs to happen is uplifting my own consciousness. And in so doing, as the sea level rises, all ships rise with it. But I don't need to worry about your ship. And like, I'm going to, I saw you use a straw, so I'm going to call you out on social media. <laughs> or, you know, it's just like, 
So I don't know. It's more of a rant than a question. It's no, just- but it's actually, it's not a rant. It's, 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 it's an understanding of observation and understanding the finer points of reality. And if we look at the finer points of reality in shamanism, we believe that anything outside of the nucleus is a waste of time because it's the nucleus from within that's creating what's outside the nucleus and what comes into the nucleus. So the, the, the difficulty that humans have created for themselves is that they're always going outside of themselves, seeking accolades, seeking permission, seeking this seeking that instead of going inside and building a relationship with that inner uh, them, which is the creator of all things, right? And so as you, the only way you can save this planet is truly to everyone to go back into their nucleus and step into that space of the the quantum level of consciousness that goes beyond the human existence into the understanding of creation, which is the the definition of of balance and harmony and love and, and expansion and all these beautiful things. And so once you step into that place and you're willing to go in, not not with aggressive force, not with this like, I need to go in and do this, like you have some mission to do, but you go in, you sit and you wait for the invitation. And then what happens is creation opens up the doorway and invites you in to the nucleus of source. And that's where you get all the information and everything to shift what's going on inside so that your behavior and actions on the outside are matching the frequency of unconditional love and acceptance for all beings. So that is truly how we begin to to navigate life in a beautiful and much more um, uh, passionate and beautiful way. So in other words, you could say, all right, let's say, let's say I'm an unconscious bobblehead, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I go through some painful experiences. I start coming up against this blackout. I start experiencing the shadow element and I'm unhappy and unfulfilled. So I think, you know, I'm going to go to a yoga class. Oh, I'm going to have a green juice. Maybe I'm going to learn how to meditate. I'm going to start exploring those areas within myself, going to therapy, doing EMDR, shamanism, plant medicine, whatever one's path is to start awakening. Then by working on myself and just focusing on raising my vibration and my capacity for unconditional love, my behavior and the business I do in the world and the way I treat other people and the way I treat the planet, animals, environment, all of that is going to be up-leveled by the very nature that I'm now more conscious and I might not you know, throw the soda can out my window driving down the road because now I care about myself a little bit more and I have more of a sense of inner fulfillment and peace. Therefore, that's going to emanate into everything that I do. So I might be more attracted to starting a business that's more inclusive, that's helping more people, that's making an impact because I've done the inner work versus someone who's perhaps doing some of the outer work and getting the accolades of being a humanitarian environmentalist as something is but is ignoring the fact that they haven't worked on their own shit. Right. I mean, think about relationships, right? So you, you, you get into a relationship and the person who's in the relationship with you, they're responsible on a spiritual level to find your weaknesses. So their whole thing is to find your weaknesses, point them out to you so that you can go inside and clear those triggers and bring harmony back to your inner nucleus. But what most people do is they react to the person or they react to what they're doing or they react instead of saying, thank you. Thank you for helping me be more clear of that which is necessary for me in my life. Thank you for um, showing me where I get angry and upset and agitated. Thank you for showing me that I have jealousy inside, which means I have lack and insecurity going on internally. And let me go in and do this beautiful, amazing um, love towards myself when it comes to you know seeing what those triggers are. And then let me apologize for the behavior and the action that I took towards you when I was acting out of character. 
you see, we have been taught to, to um, defend the narrative through our egos, which most people don't realize that the description of the ego has been taken out of context. The ego basically listens to whatever it is that you need. So if I come, if someone comes to me for a, a session, which is to see themselves, and I'll say to them, they'll say, oh, you know, I always choose the worst relationships in my life. So I go, okay, ego, do they have a belief where they um, have belief that supports them choosing the worst relationship? And the ego says they have seven beliefs that I've been supporting the narrative for. Now, whatever your ego supports the narrative for, your ego will defend. So if you have a belief that the world is this horrible place and that's what your ego is supporting the narrative and someone comes in and is like, oh my God, I love this world. Everything's so amazing. It's beautiful. Life is beautiful. You'll look at them and think they're absolutely crazy. And then your ego will come out and be like, yeah, well, what about this? Oh, and did you read this? And did you do this? Because the ego's job is to defend your narrative. It's not to go into the other person's narrative until you give it permission to do so. So what a lot of people do is they don't understand how their ego operates. So they operate in what we call a jail mentality. Jail mentality means that they have their ego supporting a narrative. They want to be right about. The ego made them right. And they don't realize it's the ego taking commands from them in their reactions, their behaviors, and what they put their energy to that the ego decides to support the narrative for. They don't say, hey, ego, disconnect me from these narratives that I believe in and support this new narrative. I'm open. I want to be open to what that person is. So disconnect me from any narrative that doesn't allow me to be open to that. And so then what happens is the ego just shifts the energy frequency to that narrative and then supports that narrative. And so to truly be able to adapt on planet Earth, we have to identify what narratives we're holding on to and why we're holding on to them. And do they support, again, and this is very important, do they support life on planet Earth? Our life, animals' lives, the nature kingdom, and our stability to sustain life for longevity, not for short, but longevity, meaning long range life and fulfillment and happiness and joy. And if it doesn't, then that narrative should not be supported. And so this is how we look at it in shamanism. So when you go into this polypexity that people go into, which is like, oh my God, I don't know why I'm in these dysfunctional relationships and da, 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 da. Stop saying that. You know exactly why you're in them because you have an ego supporting a narrative that supports you having those dysfunctional relationships because that's what you told your ego to put its energy on. So you keep attracting that energy. Once you communicate with your ego and ask it, hey, what is the narrative I'm asking you to support? Find out and then ask the ego, hey, disconnect from that. That's not, that's not, that's not supporting me. And here's a new narrative. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh my gosh, I'm in Derek. That's crazy. All the money issues I was having just kind of went away after I changed my narrative. I said, of course it did. Because life is a script of reality and consciousness. As you write the script, your ego creates the characters and the situations to make that script real to you so you stay on planet Earth. It's your great paperweight. It's here to say, hey, you know what? You're not going to, if, if I don't assist you in believing what you say as the creator, then you're not going to stay in this embodiment because this embodiment is very different from what you're used to. So I'm here to make sure you have attachments. Your attachments will then be your narratives, your belief systems, the ideas that you choose to hold on to as right or wrong. And therefore, that will give you a reason to actually stay on this planet because what you believe is what you see. Pretty simple. <laughs> I'm letting like big gaps of silence in there because I'm deciding, do I want to go to my notes or do I want to just see what happens in my head? But I'm going to go to my notes because 
there's certain shit I wanted to talk to you about. And, yeah. if, and if you leave today and I didn't cover it, I'm going to be pissed at myself. For sure. Because there's a lot in there too. Uh, I want to back up a little bit because, you know, having done healing sessions with you, been your friend, we just did one on your friend, Nicole here. What's up, Nicole? I got your name right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Amazing. That's one of my first ever first tries that I got right. Lady um, Nicole Kogan. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We just did a whole session on her. She got like, the, she got shaman dirt treatment and she got the biohacking treatment. How are you feeling, by the way? Okay. <laughs> she, for those of you on mic that can't hear, she said, I'm feeling a lot of different things right now. I bet you are. So I want to go back into your history a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, and this idea of shamanism and you being a sixth generation uh, shaman. Like, what's your lineage and what was how did this play into your family? Like when you were a little kid, was your grandma a shaman and their grandma was and like, where are your people from and all that shit? Yeah. So my family is from West Africa. My great grandmother was apprenticing my father as a shaman. So my dad trained with her until I think what he said was like in his mid 18, 19 years old since he was a kid. Um, and I mean, he did everything. Like he learned all this stuff from her about healing and how to connect to the spirits and how to see things and basically all the stuff that I know. Um, the only difference was when he got older, he walked away from it. And my grandmother, um, she, my great, she's my great grandmother. My great grandmother, she comes from the Bantu and Yoruba traditions. And then we also have Mende tradition in our family as well. And so back in the 1800s, when her tribe was around, um, everything was fine. We had many ancestors. Uh, her father was a shaman and then his mom and then her brother. Everyone was in the family, you know, going back lineage, but then slavery broke out. And so a lot in of those countries in West Africa. Yeah. And so, so a lot were these of, African people enslaving African people the, from Denmark and from different places like that, they were going into, um, to Ghana, they were going into West Africa and they were taking slaves and putting my ancestors in a slave house. I think it was called Christianburg, Christianburg. Hmm. And, um, so a lot of my families got captured from the tribe in slavery. My grandmother, her sister and some other family members escaped by cargo to Haiti, went to Haiti, learned a lot of the Haitian culture, fell in love with a Haitian man, um, realized that, you know, all of her knowledge and shamanism and everything that she was in the tribe, she thought there was a, an interesting uh, connection in the Haitian culture. The only thing she just wasn't into a lot of the things that some of the Haitian people were doing, but her root, her rooted energy was in what was from Africa. So then they left Haiti and went to Nolens. And in Nolens, the, she had a daughter and that daughter was my dad's grandmother and was my dad. And so all of them trained in shamanism through her and our lineage. But then my dad walked away from it. And when he walked away from it, he moved on more my grandmother's side. My, sorry, my grandmother, my grandfather's side, my grandfather, Leon, who was, he was into it in the beginning. Then he turned on it. And then he tried to split the family up the best way he could by becoming Catholic. And so we were like, okay, you know, the way my dad puts it, it was like, okay, he's Catholic. He's going into something different than what we're doing. And then he became like reading and reading and really becoming Catholic. And it, my grandfather is a type of person 
who, if I was to describe, he's laughing right now. Uh, if I was to describe my grandfather, my grandfather is really, really devoted when it comes to anything spiritual. So when he walked away from that shamanic side, it was like, I'm Catholic, I'm walking away from all of you. He pulled my father with him. My dad didn't want to go with him. So my dad kept training in shamanism with my, my great grandmother. So then he went from Catholic into Seventh-day Adventist. So he was in Catholic, then he got into this book about Seventh-day Adventist and then went into Seventh-day Adventist and became this huge Seventh-day Adventist minister and then pulled my dad, pulled my Aunt Shirley, pulled all the different family members into it, except for my Uncle Ronnie, my um, Uncle Leon, and my um, was Uncle Ronnie, Uncle Leon, and Milton. And a lot of them, you know, my dad was kind of playing the field. It was like, Yes, we're gonna, I'm going to share with you shamanism because this is a part of our roots and I believe it. But at the same time, we have to appease, we have to appease you know, grandfather. So it was like my dad would sit at nighttime and share with me the teachings of shamanism and then be like, okay, but now you have to say your prayers you know, because your grandfather's coming over and you need to be, talk about the Bible. So you need to learn the Bible. So it was, it was very difficult because when you're Seventh-day Adventist in our home, we had two sinks. We had like for the meat and for the cheese. You can't mix your utensils from dairy to the meat. The Seventh-day Adventist follows that very Judaic um, way of life. We keep the Shabbat. We keep the holy days. We're vegetarians. Like it's very intense. Where my father would cheat. He would pretend that he was these things with my grandfather. We always had to go to my grandfather's house for the Shabbat dinners and all this stuff. And then when he'd be home, he would be cutting down steak and eating his steak and potatoes and doing his thing and being like, yeah, whatever. So it was a very contradiction, you know, because I was like, how... I have all these things happening to me where the spirits are contacting me, our ancestors are contacting me and telling me that, I'm, that, I, have, that I have the gifts and all these things. And then I start crying. And my father was supportive, but then unsupportive when my grandfather would be around with his power, you know, with, and then he'd be like, you know, try to pretend like be like, son, you know, uh, you got to put that, all that African stuff away and all that stuff from, you know, that's like, that's our past and you need to get into the religion in the Bible. And then when my grandfather would leave, he'd be like, I'd go to a friend's house and he'd be checking my pockets. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just checking to see if there's a spell put on you. I'm like, Dad, seriously, this is ridiculous. Like, make up your mind, choose a side, you know? Like, you were trained as a shaman. Why are you, why are you, um, you know, following grandfather if you don't really believe in what grandfather's saying? But he was so, he wanted his father's approval so much that he played the fence. So for me growing up in my family's culture, you know, and when you have African culture in your family, things are very different. And being the fact that my mother is, um, is, is her, her mother's side is, uh, is um, what do you call it, West Indian. She also has Native American. And then she also has, uh, uh, what you call it, Norwegian. And so you have this contrast. My mom's this oracle who sees everything before it happens. I mean, she's the one who told me when I was, you know, 15 years old that I was going to, you know, be with the princess of Norway in the future. And she was right. You know, like everything she's ever what? said to me. Wait, what, what, what? Your mom told you that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Whoa. I was a skater. I had my Rob Roscob skateboard and I was hanging out with my <laughs> friends and all of a sudden the phone rings and my mom's like, a message from the ancestors, darling. So my ancestor Vikings want you to know that you're going to be with the princess of Norway in the future. 
And I'm thinking, my God, mom, seriously, I'm about to go search for Animal Chin and you're talking about the princess of Norway. Like my friends, we have things to do because I was really into this thing called searching for Animal Chin. It was what like is the, that? Anim- okay, <laughs> searching for Animal Chin is basically is this, in, this Jap- is this in uh, California? Yeah, you're, yeah. Okay, so you're living animal- in the Bay Area at this time when you're a Foster kid, right? City. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were between Foster City and Hawaii because my dad remarried and got my my stepmom, which is um, Hawaiian Filipino. So we would go back and forth, back and forth all the time. Search for Animal Chin basically was a skateboard's dream. It was this like ancient guru who could skate like nobody could skate and so everyone from like tony hawk to guerrero to everybody would like you know we made these videos of searching for animal chin so if you were a hardcore skater like i was with my friends we were all like we got to go search for animal chin too you know <laughs> which this thing never existed they just had us all doing this so we would go like to the trucadero we go all these places it was, it was really hilarious so i was more interested in that playing video games I had my powers. I was still learning. I was um, doing a lot of training with one of my dad, my my dad's um, mom's sister, who I bless her dear heart, um, and she was helping me understand what was going on with me and and sneaking over to the house. She'd come over, but she would sneak me in my room and then train me and teach me and tell me like. The spirits chose you. These are the things that are happening to you. These are the reasons why. My mom was also amazing instrumental. She would tell me like, you know, you cannot deny your roots in shamanism. Your father's going to do everything he can to make you be like him, which he'll make you walk away from shamanism to make grandpa happy. You can't do that. The reason why me and your dad aren't together to this day is because your grandfather told your father to leave me. And you do think, and your father sabotaged our relationship, you know, so my dad sabotaged relationship by, you know, having an affair with my with my stepmom who was from Hawaii and it hurt my mom made a rule that if you bring home your toys, you know, which means, you know, any other woman um, I walk out the door. And so, you know, the, it was is a, it was a very um, challenging time, I think, for me, because my father, were there days where he supported me and he was like, or have you learned this? Have the spirits put you through this? Have you um, got this information? And then there were days where my dad was just like, I think you should just throw it all away. And like realize that we're living in a different time now. It's not the same that it was, you know, there's no tribe, there's no this, like a lot of family members ended up in slavery. Like you should just, you know, you should just do what I did and just kind of like focus on the family business, which he of course was an architect, engineer and general contractor. Um, And, you know, and so basically I denied it. I denied him. You know, I was like, you you know, I love you and I will always love you, but I am who I am. And either you support me in this path or you don't, but I will be able to make it and become the shaman that I was born to be. And I'm sorry that you chose to walk away from the shaman that you are. And then when he died, which was really great, he said to me, before he died, um, he died of cancer. And he said to me, you know, you were right. And I should have stood by you stronger. Wow. And, you know, and he's like, I'm glad that, you know, and he shared a lot of the teachings with me. He shared a lot about what it was like in his training. And he didn't, he didn't want me to be an outcast like he felt growing up. My dad, you know, my dad's born 1923, you know, like a different time, you know, and he felt like, we were the, the, the weird family in Nolens who had two houses. One house was for my grandmother to do all her shamanic and the other house was where the family lived. And he always felt like he, you know, he was an outcast and he didn't want me to go, he didn't, he didn't want me to go through that pain. I love my daddy. You know, I wish that 
you know, I talk to him all the time on the other side. I wish that he that he wouldn't have played the fence so much, you know? I feel like it was very hard for me being um when I was being outcast by religious people, by teachers in school and by peers of friends of mine who I thought they were my friends and they just wanted to come over to see my powers, you know? So I felt like people weren't really there for me because they just wanted to see me like a circus act, you know? And um, he wasn't there to protect me, you know? He would just say to me, you chose this. You chose something that our family should have buried a long time ago. And damn. But at the same time, he would also like forbid me from spending a night at people's homes or like he had these rules about things because of course he was raised in that way. So he still believed that people could put curses on me and spells on me. And like, I wasn't allowed to go to New Orleans because he said people would figure out who I am and they would want to take my life or steal my blood or do these things because of our roots have strong powers. So I never went to New Orleans. I never, you know, I, I never got to spend a night at friends' houses. And when I did, I was interrogated every time I walked in the door with his shamanic abilities. Like, then, you know, what kind of spirits did you bring into our home? Like, did these people feed you something? Why would you eat from their table? They could have poisoned you. Like, this, this is his mindset because that's how he was raised, you know? And so when people would beat up on me and make fun of me because I would feel things and say things that I thought was normal to say. And then I started realizing that people in school were programmed by this matrix, this system that has, that, that has put them through an institution of control and wanted to see if they follow rules. And I could never follow those rules. And I just didn't understand how to be the type of human being that everyone wants me to be. And sometimes to this day, I don't feel, you know, like I... I um, you know, people see me in public, they see me on TV, they see me in things and they think, oh yeah, you know, he's got it all figured out. And I don't have it all figured out. I'm learning to navigate this existence on earth right now and still getting and experiencing how, you know, the, the ramifications that come with being different, you know, like I can see things and feel things and spirits that people would never think exist. You know, like someone asked me the other day, I was on this thing called Inside Edition and they asked me a question that people were like interrogating me on this, 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 this TV show that's coming out. They're like, do you believe in goblins? And I'm like, yes. But for someone that hears that, they might think, oh, he's crazy. But I'm sorry. I see, I live in a different world. I see different yeah. creatures, different beings. I remember one time I was in Turkey and I told my friend, I go, do you see that crawling on the building over there? And he's like, see what? I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I got to open your powers. And I touched them and I said, I'm going to share my energy with you so you can see. He goes, what the hell is that? I said, those are the night stalkers. They crawl on people's buildings and they tune into, you know, people's thoughts and ideas. And they, they open up doorways for dark spirits to go into people's dreams. Like, but I can't just like, you know, tell people. So I think like, when people say like, you know, who did you dedicate this, this book to? I dedicated it to my dad. If anyone reads like who the I book is dedicated, that. it's dedicated yeah. to my dad. And the reason why I dedicated it to him, and he's like telling me he's sorry, he loves me, and I love you too, daddy. But the reason why I dedicated it to him, because I wanted him to know that like, I didn't walk away. And this is for the part of you that walked away, that I'm representing. 
in our lineage, in our family, in our bloodline. And yeah, that's, you know, and it's, and it was, it was, it was hard. It was challenging. It was abusive. It was painful. I mean, there are times where doctors would tell me, oh, you're schizophrenic. Oh, you're a manic depressive. Oh, you're bipolar. Oh, you have, you have, your, your son has autism. No, I do not. I hear spirits. I see things. I feel things. And I realize I'm a multidimensional being. I'm sorry that you can't understand that there are many spirits that make up my body and you think I'm a, a schizophrenic. I'm not. I just know that there's many spirits that chose to be me and that all those past lives that I say is past lives aren't really my, it's not I live the past life, they live in that lifetime and they are sharing, created this body in this dimension because everything is quantum. So they are operating through me. So when I see myself as a Pharaoh in Egypt, that's a spirit that shares this body with me as I was a woman concubine in ancient China. So all of these different things are a part of me, but this is really my first life but I'm the embodiment of all those spirits. And yet people beholden to this one idea, like uh, pouring water into a glass and that's who it is. So the doctors kept giving me medications and stuff. And you know, my dad would be like, you have to take these medications. I'm like, dad, but you know the truth. Like, you know this. He's like, you know, he's like, but what if I don't? What if, you know, what if, what if I, I, I made a mistake? And it was just always this back and forth. And then he would be like, no, I don't think you should take those medicines. Like, you know, spirits came to me last night. I had to talk to our ancestors and like, you have to honor and, and, true, and be true to who you are. Next week goes by. Um, I really need you to start reading the Bible. It's like, <laughs> oh, damn, bro. <laughs> is, I'm dizzy from, from- It's dizzy. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in this- unique situation that you have in this embodiment it's it's really interesting to me because it's like oh man there's so much there i want to try to encapsulate this in a way that makes sense so in my paradigm of reality where i exist i feel best when i'm focused on the physical now dimension that's the one thing that kind of keeps me grounded, right? Mm. Is even though I'm aware that there's multitudes of dimensions and I've had brief access points to those various dimensions, not to the degree that you're describing, those have been sort of like a glimpse to show me, okay, there's more here on the earth plane than meets the eye. Like doing ayahuasca or something like that's a great example where the veil's lifted and you're like, oh shit. There's all this other shit going on that I that I don't normally perceive because it's like your average human like me, you know, our brain is sort of filtering out past lives and filtering out the ancestors and filtering out the fucking goblins on the building in Turkey. And we're just zoomed into this very sort of narrow frequency of reality, which is quite comfortable in a way because it's just easier to stay focused on what's here. And so it seems like in your case, perhaps those filters that are normally in place for your average person are porous and your veil is a different veil. And so as you're going around in your waking life, starting from an early kid and also having some assistance from the people around you, how to access that and how to, um, you know, uh, sort of contextualize what you're experiencing because the other kids aren't seeing shit you're seeing. It must be really challenging to have gifts like that and also to be able to stay grounded and just like being Dirk, just a dude, you know, like how do you reconcile 
seeing the things that you see and also keep yourself here and feeling stable and like you belong and feeling <laughs> solid in your body. You know what I'm saying? Your questions are uh, out of sight. Because to me, to me like, no one asks me these questions. I take brief journeys through meditation and different things that I do where I lose the body, I lose the personalities and I'm in the ethers and, and I'm seeing shit that is in other dimensions. But those are like brief, brief glimpses at it. And then I you know, always come back to being right here. I got black jeans on. I'm on a white chair. You're here. There's a microphone. There's a dog. Like I'm just here in the physical body and um, still aware that that spiritual realm is there, but I'm not, I'm not dipping in and out of it all the time. You know, it's like I'm in the physical, but I have one toe in the water of the spiritual dimensions, which is what keeps me connected to God. And I got to be with God consciousness or I fucking lose it. And so I learned that 23 years ago when I had a spiritual experience but if I go too much into that, I just it gets too confusing. There's just too much data to take in. So your radio transmitter seems to take a lot of channels in at once, dimensionally speaking. So, you know, how do you stay just you? As an adult now, you know, coming out of that childhood where there's all of this, you know, these different authority figures pulling you in different dimensions and also the matrix of society and education and religions and all of this, like now that you kind of identified, all right, this is who I am. These are my gifts. This is my mission here on the planet. And you're still seeing all this shit. Like in this room right now, you might be seeing some energies that are on me, you know, hopefully they're angelic. And, um, you know, so as your, as your, your filter is different than a lot of people's filter, how do you still, you know, drive a car and make sure the taxes are paid and do all the earthly shit? I don't. <laughs> I have a team that does that for me. Okay. Because I can't um, focus on, how can I put it? Like, okay, you're sitting here right now, right? I see all these spirits behind you and all through the room and I can feel them behind me and over here. And not only do I see them, I'm also tuning into the other beings and other planets that are actually scoping themselves here to learn from our, our, our interaction and how we're operating as human beings that aren't human. And then I'm picking up on all of the different family members and energies that are there that are paying attention from the realm of light. And then I can see all the darkness that's sitting there listening to our conversation and watching us and observing. All these things are happening simultaneously. And so for me growing up, it was a challenge for me. Um, that's why I never finished school. I went, my, my, grade, my highest grade that I went to school was eighth grade. Um, I told my father, I can't handle this institution because I'm sitting in class and I can hear and feel everything that's going on. And so my dad paid my way out of the school to high school, I did a half a year in Hillsdale High in San Mateo County. And I walked out the door and like my teacher's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm leaving. And they're like, why? I'm like, you're trying to brainwash everyone in this school to buy into things that support this system. And I, I see all through it and I can't be here. And I walked away and my dad's like, you have to conform. You have to give, you have to do this. And I said, well, then I'm sorry. Then he's like, the truant officer is going to come for you. I was like, let him come. Let him come. I will figure a way through this system. I am not. And I never went back to school. I never felt that the institution of, of school, I never understood what taxes are. I never understood, 
you know, what is this thing? You pay for something to be in a place to live. You have to buy food. I mean, it took me a while to get comfortable peeing and going to the bathroom. I thought that was a tedious task. You know, I mean, all of these, I'm telling you straight up, you want to know how I think. I mean, these are things that my family knows how I feel about it, you know, but I've accepted it. However, and I'm learning, I'm not the best um, at being like you can, I watch you and I admire you. I think it's amazing how you interact in the physical world, how you're just really grounded and like in, I spend so much time going to other places and traveling and visiting other places and meeting with other spirits and helping them out in their dimensions. Like, you know, sometimes I'll be laying in bed and the spirit will come in and say, I need you to, to get this type of stone in your hand so I can channel the energy to my dimension from your world because I need this energy in my world. Can you go and get it? Fine. I need you to tell this woman uh, that her child's going to make it through surgery. She's been asking for help and we, and we need to, um, you to, to deliver the message. Fine. I need you to, to tell. I mean, it's crazy. Sometimes my, my girlfriend will say to me, like, uh, are you talking to another spirit? I'm like, yeah. They're like, they're in the shower with you right now. I'm like, yeah. They're like, she's like, okay, babe. Well, do whatever it says you need to do. Because when you take the role as a shaman, you are ambassador now. You are ambassador to the spirit world, to the physical world. So you, I will get spirits who will come to me and say, you know, like I had a woman, for instance, walk into my friend's opening of his new hair salon in, um, in Arizona. And she walked in and I saw a boy with her. And then she came back up the stairs because she was putting all the plants for his grand opening. And I go, oh, who was that boy with you? She goes, what boy? I go, the one who went downstairs with you. And she goes, is he, for t- is he playing games with me? Is he for real? I go, uh-oh. <laughs> I go, that's right. I got it. I go, your son has a message for you, you know? And she's like, what? I said, your son, the one who died in the motorcycle accident, he has a message for you. And then she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying this to me. His message, the spirits want me to deliver is that there is an afterlife and here's your message. And she goes, last night I was praying that if there is really an afterlife, if he can see me and then you deliver this message. This is my life. It's been this way since I was a little kid. You know, and since I was a little boy and my mom takes me to the dentist and the spirit says to me, follow me, come with me. I have something for you to do. And then I start, I left my mom. I was like, you know, a little boy. I was like, uh, she said I was like three years old. And I walked away from my mom while she was talking to the dentist, opened up the door, uh, walked three blocks away, found this woman who was going through pain. The spirit told me exactly what to say to her as a little boy. And I said it to her and I snuggled up next to her on the bench. My mom was like looking for me. She didn't panic because my mom never panics for anything. She walked down the street, kept looking and looking. She found me. And the woman said, oh my God, you have the most beautiful daughter because I had very long hair. And um, she goes, no, that's not my daughter. That's my son. And she goes, he's so powerful. He told me all these things about myself. How did he know that? She goes, oh, (laughs) she goes, you know, my son is very spiritual, you know, and things like that. And she goes, well, what is that? That was my whole life. That was my whole life. I told my friend, we're sitting at a club. I look over at my buddy and I go, dude, your girlfriend's having an affair right now. And he's like, what? He goes, dude, are you serious? Are you just playing with me? Are you serious? Like he started getting in my face, like like all balled up and fist and angry and stuff. I go, get your fist of cups out of my face, okay? (laughs) I'm not into it, okay? I'm giving, I'm delivering a message that Spirit asked me to deliver to you. So here's the message. He goes, no, she's not. No, she's not. She can't be. I'm like, okay, we got in my car. He's like, are you serious? Are you just messing with me? I go, no, I'm dead serious. And if you want to know the truth, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to call her, tell her, you know, she cheated on you. Tell her, you know, that what the person looks like. So I'm going to give you his description. And then she's going to call and lie to you. 
and you're going to not break. You're not going to be like, okay, babe, maybe I should have I made that up. You're going to hold your ground. And then she's going to hang up the phone and say that you don't put, believe in her and you don't trust her and da, 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 da. And then she's going to call back and tell you everything. And, I, and he goes, really? I said, around 11 o'clock, she's going to call you back. And he called me up on the phone. And he goes, I just got off the phone with her. She, she admitted everything. I said, I told you. I, I'm not here... I told my friend, don't go on this nature trip because the spirit of death told me it's coming for you. Now, if you want to avoid the spirit of death right now, don't go on this nature trip and eat something in nature because you will die. And so will your girlfriend and the two friends who are my friend, Mike Swaggered, and my other friend, they're going to lose their minds. Mike's going to end up in jail and you're, she's going to end up losing her mind when later she'll become a healer. I said it very clear to both of them. I just got off the phone yesterday with Mike because I sent him money in prison. And he goes, I wish I would have listened to you. He goes, Stefan wouldn't be dead. Mitzi wouldn't be dead. I wouldn't be sitting here in jail. He was like, and you're right. Robin became a, a healer. I was like, I don't, I'm a harbinger. I, I, whatever spirit tells me to do, I do. I don't question. Spirit goes, get off, leave your house right now. Give everything away. So I go, okay, here we go. Give it all away. What next? Go to Sweden, go to Israel, go to this place, go to Turkey, go here, go there. And I just go, I don't, I, this is, when you are a shaman, you are not listening to the physical world. I listen when people come in and talk to me. I'm like, uh-huh, mm, okay, great. Fantastic. That's wonderful. I love people's stories because they're only seeing one side of themselves. They don't see the blind spot. So I go, okay, that's great. Okay, uh-huh. Well, here's what the spirit has to say. And they're like, oh my God. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait, no, I can't believe that. I mean, of course they said you would say that. So we'll give you some time to marinate on it. And then they come back, oh my God, that was, you're right. You're so right, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about being right. What I care about is putting the power back in your hands. What I care about is seeing society and people wake the fuck up and recognize that they are powerful global leaders. What I care about is that people walk out the door and know how to talk to their guides. What I care about is watching people be able to access any healing power in the universe they need to because they know how to tap in to all of the resources that are available to them because they're not putting walls and barriers and saying, I can only use Reiki, 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 Reiki. There's nothing wrong with Reiki. God bless, love, thank you, Reiki. The point I'm making is Reiki is one of the billions and zillions of healing symbols and techniques that spirit is waiting to bring to someone who's willing to go into the unknown and get it. But if you keep copying and regurgitating and following what everyone else is doing and not going in to that place and letting spirit open the door to show you these things, then you become a codependent person. And that's exactly what darkness wants. That's what the system wants. And that's what the matrix wants because codependency makes it easy to run policy and run war and run all these things right past you. It's the whole Caesar mentality that I talk about in spirit hacking, which is circuses and bread. It's Caesar mentality. Caesar said, Give them the arena and give them cheap bread and they'll never know what the Republic does. Well, those things have not changed. They're not far from, the, from where we are today. Yeah, it's, they, now they call it Fox and CNN. <laughs> 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 and, and NFL and NBA. All of, all, I'm alive. All of the, I'm alive. All the acronyms. <laughs> we'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. All right, I've got a new discovery to share with you. It's called Peak Tea Crystals. Now, I've been a fan of tea and I've understood the health benefits of tea for a long time. But to be quite honest, I always feel like tea is a little weak, like the flavor profile is just not there for me. And as a result, I feel like there's probably not enough medicine in it. 
Additionally, I find it to be a little bit of a pain in the ass to make tea because you got to deal with the whole tea bag. You have to wait for it to be ready and all that. I don't know. It's just kind of like hard for me to figure out. What I love about Peak Tea is that they make a concentrated tea extract powder that you easily just pour into some hot water and it makes this tea 12 times more antioxidant rich and I would say at least 12 times more potent in its flavor. It's absolutely delicious. And so during the day, I'll often have one of these myself, like a green tea, maybe jasmine, mint green, or the fermented pu'er green tea. And I'll often offer these to my guests when they come in. And every single time they're like, oh my God, this is the best tea ever. What is it? And uh, that's my secret. I don't tell them. No, I do. It's peak tea crystals. Uh, Also at night, they have a hibiscus and a ginger that are really great kind of warming, soothing teas. And they're super strong and just delicious tasting. Sometimes I'll even use these teas as a base to work on other elixirs and like add some ghee and different things like that. And so they're just freaking amazing. And I'm excited to share them with you. They are triple tested for toxins. They're like absolutely the cleanest, most delicious and most health beneficial teas I've ever found. Very concentrated polyphenols, really good for your immunity and a balanced microbiome. They're just absolutely awesome. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go over to peaktea.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E-T-A-E, peaktea.com. Enter the code Luke Story and save 10% off. That's peaktea.com. The code is Luke Story for 10% off. They don't have sales very often. There's a hard company to get discount with. So get over there and get your discount now. However, I must say this discount does not apply to their fermented pu'er teas due to their limited quantity. But go to peaktea.com, enter the code Luke Story, and save 10% off right now. And now back to the interview. See, it's it's so funny listening to you talk because I, I think oftentimes people, they see people that have unique gifts, right? And are able to sort of play in these different realms and think, oh man, I wish I had that because then the ego thinks, well, I'll be special and I'll get attention. Everyone will think I'm so fucking woke. I hear you talking. I'm like, damn dog, I'm glad I'm, I'm the type of shaman. I just get one, I got one messenger. It's just the Godhead and it talks to me through intuition and it's just like a little nudge, like, a little more of the right, Luke. Okay. Right. <laughs> say yes to this thing. Say no to that thing. Explore this relationship. End this relationship. You know, that kind of thing. And it's just, it's very broad, you know? And the times where I have had experiences where I'm getting... I have had a couple things where even not even in like a psychedelic experience, but stone cold sober, a visitation as I call it, where like my body's vibrating. I'm like, what the fuck? Something's happening here. There's other than this dimension. Those have been sort of uh, intriguing, but I don't know what it would be like to have that shit happening all the time. I don't think that's something that I would want. And I guess that's, you know, in God's infinite wisdom, didn't bestow those powers onto me because that's not my particular karma and my fate, you know, my dharma and my shamanic journey is just, is much different than that. You know, it's just like real straightforward, real down to earth. And so it's, it's fun to see the contrast of like, oh man. It could be what an, for now. What an interesting experience you're having in this incarnation. Let's talk 10 years from now, Luke. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, things are opening up though. Don't get me wrong. Things are opening up. It's getting more interesting um, all the time in that regard. Well, the thing I wanted to ask you is go back a little bit because I know a lot of people get, when they hear 
you know, uh, like shamanic traditions or shaman, like they immediately now, I think because there's so much popularity in plant medicines and things like that, which I think is there's, it's awesome. And there's a lot of opportunity there. There's also a downside to it, which we can discuss, but I'm curious going back to the very origins of the traditions that you come from in West Africa, was there ever any use of Iboga? In that scene at all? You know, I was offered it. Um, and the for me, you know, I'm a spirit shaman. So if I do anything, I did it really early. So I did African catbush. I did um, an emboga ceremony. I, I haven't done ayahuasca. And it wasn't for the sake of, I need to open up some door. It was for the sake of understanding the spirit of these things. And, you know, I can say that I got more from being a spirit shaman than I have ever gotten from any kind of plant that I've ever digested or any type of root that I've ever put in my, in my body from drinking it or consuming it or smoking it into my body. Because being able to have this clear vessel and then enter into the same worlds and even deeper than what people go into when they're doing these different medicines because they're poisoning their body to create this, you know, this response because of what happens to their brain and the way what releases from their brain and all these different things that are taking place. I don't want to go through the whole science of it all is a different experience because then you're not beholden on, Oh, the plant did that to me. The root did that to me. Like for instance, I had a girl today um, who came in and had a session with herself. That's what I call it. You're not having a session with me. You're having a session with yourself. And I showed her how to open up her powers. And when she opened up her powers, she was purging and throwing up the, all this poison out of her body into this trash can. And then she was shaking and she oh, entered word? into an ice world. And then she traveled through all these different dimensions and, you know, and got to speak to spirit and gave her all this information about her life and all of these things where her boyfriend was in the room watching the whole time and experiencing, you know, this experience without there being medicine. And afterwards, when she was able to draw ancient symbols from the spirit world into her body and cast them from her hands and be able to change the gravitational flow of energy moving through her body, she was like, you got to be kidding me. Like this, there is no medicine in this. There is no medicine. No, there's no medicine in this at all. And the thing is, the medicine is you you're activating the medicine that's already inside of you. So for me, I rather um, do it that way. Some people feel like they need to have something from the outside come into the nucleus. I always believe activate the nucleus and create the, the world and go into the worlds that are available. And there's so many. Um, and I think that, you know, if I had, if, if I was, you know, and a lot of times people think, oh, you know, you're Shaman Dirk, you're a shaman, you have all these powers. My powers are constantly growing. It's not this like I have all these powers. Yeah, I do have a, a huge storehouse of powers. I won't, I won't lie about that. And I don't tell, and I don't share every single one with every single people because some of them can be very destructive if you put into the wrong hand. So I wait to see how much of the people who come to me who want to put the power back in their hands are coming from a heart space versus a look at me, I'm powerful space, which to me is just all bullshit. Um, but at the same time, there is an, an energy gauge of, you know, 
things that the spirits still show me. Like my dad is on the other side now. My ancestors are there. A lot of the tribal members are there. And not only that, when you're a shaman, you're connected to all tribes, not just this time, but in the time of when earth was Pangea. You're any time that earth existed, you're connected to all tribes that have ever been. So once you are initiated in that energy, you can tap into any of those energies and lineages when you tap into the spirit world. And it doesn't mean you have to just be a shaman as well too. That's another thing because a lot of times people are like, oh, well, you're not a shaman because you weren't born in the tribe. Uh, and dealing with tribal. That's not what makes a shaman. A shaman isn't about being in a tribe. And right now the earth is calling shamans out of their sleep who are never gonna be a part of a tribe. They're just born with the energy that goes back into their being from their spirit that has lived in those tribes and other embodiments. So they're waking them up and saying, call to action. We need you to go forth and do blah, 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 blah. So I think that for me, I, I go more into the understanding of showing people, you know, like, look at what you can do outside of your need to pull something in from outside. And then once they see that, they're just like, what? How, that was so easy. I had no idea. Yeah. And then look what else you can do. Oh, and let me show you this. Oh, and let me show you this. And, and it becomes fun. And it becomes this great thing because they walk away, not with being codependent upon me. Right. And I always and I and I and I have a lot of love and respect for the Bible. I don't have respect for religion. I have respect for the Bible, and I'll tell you the difference. I have respect for the teachings of Jesus, which is pure unconditional love for the sake of love, and to love all people as your brothers and sisters, and to honor that proclamation of you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you come as a child. I love his teachings. I do not adhere to the misassociation of God's um, teachings and unconditional love for the purpose of war or putting someone down or calling someone out of their name and thinking that you're pious or holier than thou because you are Christian and they're not, or if you are Muslim and they're not, or whatever it may be. I think that there is the essence of, of that reality that people um, you know, want so much to hold on to. Um, and we really have to step into the essence of the teachings, of the love, of the energy, of that, you know, like I give of my body to you, drink of my blood, not because I'm giving it to you because I'm higher than you. I'm giving it to you because I'm asking you to go forth and do greater wonders than I. Not for you to be like, oh my God, you're amazing. Another, another, another golden calf to worship, another, another idol, you know, oh, look, here's the idol. It's a cross with Jesus on it, with dirty underwears and a crown on his head. And that's not how Jesus would like to be represented, just so you all know. <laughs> You know, Jesus would love to see the images of like heart opening, love, love inclusive for all people, embracing all things. Not I'm a, they hurt me, I'm a victim, and feel 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 guilty to love me. No, who wants to feel guilty to love anybody? That's horrible. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Your reflection of that iconography, because I remember when I was a kid, I, you know, I wasn't raised thankfully with any religion because i've been able to dip into all of them and learn something without mm -hmm. having any attachments but uh, there were members of my family that were i guess christian quasi-christian but they would have these fucking crosses up on the wall with like blood you know painted bloody hands of jesus up there and kind of look like ted nugent you know and uh it just looked very scary <laughs> it was um it, it, it i was just like whatever that is that's scary i don't want any part of that and then you know fast forward into being an adult and not having uh, attached myself to any of that or having any of it really forced upon me. What you're speaking about is so cool. Um, one of my favorite books, there's a author called Emmett Fox and he was part of the new thought movement around between like the 1920 and 1940. There were all of these kind of English scholars and Americans that were 
scientific Christians where they would take the teachings of Jesus and sort of dispel all of the religious part, right? And so just take the teachings of the Bible. And there's a book by Emmett Fox called Sermon on the Mount. And in that, he basically distills down the message of Jesus that you can live in your life, which is the one that you just described, that of unconditional love, and gets rid of all of the metaphor, all of the dogma, all of the construct of religion is like, here's what the dude was saying. Here's how you put it in your life. And that book changed my life because I didn't have to join a religion or even be quote unquote Christian. It's just like, oh, this is a great teaching. I don't care who the person was or what their name was in that incarnation. It's a pure teaching. And if I put it in my life, it helps me and it helps other people. And that's, that's all you need to know, which is a, a cool thing to be able to um, experience where I didn't have to unravel like my you know, Catholic upbringing or something like that. A lot of people, I think, struggle with God because God and religion are so intertwined that they can't separate them. You know, and I think it's a it's kind of a gift to not have any original faith, so that I could make it up as I well, as I go. Also you painted, know? They painted God as Santa Claus. You know, you're good, you get rewarded. You're bad, you get it. You, you know, right. you, you get punished. And right. that narrative was created by darkness to keep human beings afraid of God, so they'll always be in contrast to God's teachings, because God's teachings, our creation's teachings, is pure love. Come back to love, be love. I mean, there's a perfect scripture in the Bible that talks about the prodigal son. I don't understand how people just don't know the story of the prodigal son. It's so clear. But again, they'll utilize all of the things that darkness infilled in through St. Constantine, who was infiltering the Bible with all of these ideas of, you know, uh, dogma and, you know, right versus wrong and all this stuff to keep the people corralled, um, uh, that they, they don't see that, like, I'll give you an example. People will say, oh my God, you're a shaman. You're evil. You're this, you're the devil, blah, 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 blah. You okay? Yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of love I was giving you, huh? Feel real good? So um, so basically- he's, he's, he's talking to Cookie, not me, guys, just for clarity. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though, dude. Every interview, Cookie comes and sits with the guests. It's a really, it's one of my favorite features of the show now. It's, it's kind of a thing she does. And she's obsessed with me and she won't ever sit with me. She always sits with the, the interviewee. Okay, anyway, back to the Bible. Yeah. So, so going back, you know, so people will say, oh, you know, you're evil. You're this, you're doing black magic. Shamanism is the work of the devil, blah, 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 blah. Little do they know that Moses, Moshe was a shaman. He was trained in shamanism by Jethro, which is of the Midian people. Then the Midian people are the people who teaches you how to be humble and have humility and be one with nature, connect to spirit through visual, through seeing, through breathing and all these things. If, if, if Moses did not go into the Midian people's ways and learn shamanism, he would have never seen the burning bush. The reason why he saw the burning bush, the reason why I can see the burning bush, if the burning bush was burning, is because of the fact I can see beyond the physical realm. He was able to see beyond the physical realm. What we, so it, what I found very fascinating is that when people say that, they have no understanding of context. They don't understand that a shaman is a basically a, an ambassador for the spirit world to humans. And that's exactly what Moses did. He ambassador him shift back to Egypt connected with his brother Aaron, you know, went and faced his um, other brother, which was, you know, Pharaoh Ramsey, and told him, here's a message from the spirit world. Here's what God wants you to do. Let the people go. Very simple. Did he, did, did he question it? 
Did he sit and go, I'm not gonna go? Because no, the thing is when you're a shaman, you, you can, you, people can tell me, oh, you're wrong, you're doing the da 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 I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't listen to you. I listen to only one voice and that voice is the voice of God's servants of the light. If an angel comes to me or a being of the light comes to me and says, go here, do that, I'm ready to go. I'm not gonna sit back and go, oh, well, this person thinks I shouldn't go because they think I'm making it up. I'm sorry, you can be whatever. You don't see the burning bush, I do. So when, so I, and, and when, when Moshe went over, he couldn't speak, he had a speech impediment. He had a difficulty, so his brother Aaron would speak. And his brother Aaron would bring the proclamation to the Egyptians. And it was also the power that he gave him to pour in his power into him to help bring them out of this you know, enslavement and in and, and, and this level of, of, of life that they were living. Now, those things have not changed. The difference is people don't believe those things can happen anymore. But then they'll say to me, oh, you know, Shaman Derek, your book is, is, is crazy. It's a madman's talk. It's this, it's that, and the other. Okay, but you won't believe what I'm saying because you don't have any context to back it up, but you don't really have any context to back up the Bible. So it's like, you know, we can pick and choose all we want all day long, which is great. But the question is, are we operating in a field of consciousness where we're willing to look at new ideas or are we comfortable being comfortable in our uncomfortable, which will become more uncomfortable because we're not evolving. And when you don't evolve and nature is evolving and everything else is evolving around you, that's when the chaos theory comes in. That's when the, the energy of distortion becomes so strong that literally it's like a bee trying to get out of your hands because you're holding it and you'll get stung. And so we have the power to open ourselves up to being able to bring in fresh perspectives, new ideas, new innovations, new technologies, new ways of adapting as human beings on earth, not for the sake of the individual I, but in the understanding of the we and the understanding of the we that will come after that we and will continue to come after that we for a thriving evolutionary process of human nature in coherence with the animal kingdom, in coherence with the natural kingdom, all of which supply us, give to us, and support us in our ability to sustain life. How do you reconcile the fact that in our earthly existence, there's so much evil? And I ask this question from the perspective of, okay, if there's a loving God energy in the universe then why isn't the earth just all unicorns and rainbows and waterfalls and all unconditional love and no borders and everyone just is you know singing kumbaya around the proverbial campfire? Why is there pedophilia and mass murder and slavery and all of these things? I'm very curious as to how you reconcile the existence of that polarity. So the way I reconcile the existence of that polarity is through understanding the proclamation of creation, right? The proclamation of creation is such, you are a child of God, which means that you have what is called a creator code inside of your being. And every time you open your mouth and think that code is being activated and therefore God is amplifying your creative code into existence. So even though people may think that they don't participate in the things that are happening on the planet, it's a funny thing to say, however, they are. So if you are a person who is um, utilizing your free will, which is your creative code, to emulate the idea of a possibility of something that is contrasting against the light, darkness then is formed. 
There isn't like something buffering it or stopping it because free will is the actment of love of, of our creator. It is the idea of you can do whatever it is you believe you want to do, create whatever it is you want to do. And when you want to align to the ultimate source, which is pure love, unconditionally, all accepting, all forgiving, which is basically acceptance, uh, you are able to then transcend into and back into what is known as our creator, which is God. So God um, you know, has given us this free will and human beings have utilized this creator code in destructive ways by thinking in contrast to that which should have never been thought in contrast. That's why I love the stories um, in the Bible of like, you know, Cain and Abel and all this kind of stuff, because you can see directly the contrast um, within Cain. You can see that Cain has chosen to use the creator code for destruction and therefore, you know, killing his brother and so forth in this, in the idea of getting more love and acknowledgement from his family and yada, yada, yada. The point of the matter is, is that what we call evil is a description given to you by the matrix. The understanding of darkness is our brothers and sisters who use their creative uh, co um, ability or code, their free will, to magistrate something different than unconditional love at some time or another. And because of that, the realm of darkness was created. And in that realm of darkness is a magnetic fold. That magnetic fold pulls all beings who hold that same frequency into it. So when you die, if you can't love and accept every life you touched and affected because of your choice your behaviors and your decisions, then you choose not to go into the light because in enter, to enter the light, you must be like a child. You must be all accepting, all loving, and all um, unconditional to say, I accept everything that is, everything that I've done, everything I take full responsibility for it, and I'm able to go into the light. So the ones who don't go into the light go into the realm of darkness. Now, the realm of darkness is a very interesting realm because in the realm of darkness, in order to sustain darkness in that realm, the realm of darkness needs the light, but it can't take the light from a place of unconditional love. And so that's where we come in. What it can do is it has to be able to manipulate you consciously to use your own power against you to change your light source into hate, anger, rudeness, deception, and anything that goes against you and your brothers and sisters and creation itself from the understanding of unconditional love. That being said, it then takes that energy and transfers it into the dark realm to expand the dark realm to other galaxies and other dimensions while maintaining the beings in the dark realm to have a home to hide away from the light. Now, the biggest thing that darkness wants, which is why I find it very fascinating how people choose to respond because they're responding exactly to what darkness wants. So darkness's whole thing is to get you to shut off your capacity for unconditional love and pull yourself into a conditional love, which means that you still support the darkness. Because if you cannot love someone unconditionally, then you are not able to tap into the creator code that is the co-creator code with creation, which is God's complete unfoldment, as we would say, the prodigal son, right? So darkness's whole thing is to get you to be mad at the darkness, be afraid of the darkness, and find more darkness than other people instead of calling forth their light.
So when people go around and say, oh, you're an evil dark person, they're servants of the darkness. The darkness is like, yay, we got agents. They think they're actually pious and beautiful and serving the light and bringing the light to a higher place. What they don't realize is that we have them doing our work for us. All they have to do is keep going around telling everyone how horrible and nasty and disgusting they are. And all they have to do is keep judging the darkness, hating the darkness, rebuking the darkness and attacking the darkness. And we get stronger. Is everyone happy down here in the underworld? And everyone's like, yay. (laughs) We never have to take responsibility for the things that we did and come into a place of love. Yay. We have a hiding place. Yay. So you have all these people walking around the earth going like, you're going to hell. And the darkness is like, keep going. Come on. Tell the next person. Tell the next person how evil they are. Tell them how bad they are. Tell people how horrible they are, how bad they are, how they're never going to this and they're never going to that. And this makes the darkness stronger. And, you know, this is, a, this is a, a, a downfall of humanity because human beings should use their consciousness to see that you cannot deal with darkness with darkness. Using the same polarity, the same frequency, the same elocution, the same everything, do you actually think you can transmutate, that you can trans, um, configurate, that you can bring transformation into alchemy to change the darkness back to its original form, which is the light? Dude, this is, <laughs> this is so good. My motto in life is don't fight the darkness, make the light brighter. That's it. That's my motto. But what you're describing is especially, and I, I always really try to avoid talking about politics on this show because it's just too inflammatory and there are conversations I'd rather have in private due to the climate. But one thing I've noticed, especially in the past couple of years being in America, past three years specifically, is there is so much hatred of hatred. We hate those people that are haters. You know, it's like, it's exactly what you're talking about. If you step back and watch, it's like, it's coming from the side that I think used to be historically the more tolerant, liberal, you know, loving, accepting, all-inclusive sort of side of, of politics and culture is now, it's almost like there's been a polar shift and because there was negativity and hate, or at least perceived to be on the other side, now those people that used to be what we would call liberal, loving, kind people, progressives, you could say, are now like the most hateful because they hate the people that hate. Mm. And now there's this feedback loop that's really interesting to observe. And it's exactly what you just described. It's they're missing the real golden key of change and transformation, which is kill them with kindness that you can't, you can't fight darkness with more darkness. And that's, that's so amazing the way that you laid that out because I'm kind of, I'm not politically engaged or involved, but I am aware and I'm very much zoomed out of the whole war between like left and right. It's like, it's all a game. It's all theater anyway, like we were talking Mm -hmm. about, but to watch the theater and go like, ah, you guys, you're fucking falling for it. You're taking the bait. You're eating the chum. Yeah, you're taking yeah, eating exactly. the chum. You're taking you're taking the bait from that dark energy and that dark force. And I think a lot of people are again well meaning that like, ah, oh, there's darkness there. I'm gonna go fight it, kill the dark people. And it's like, oh dude, now you're adding fuel to that negativity and to that fire. So that's that's one piece I think is a really great and it's, distinction. You know, you do get sucked into it. I even as a shaman, I catch myself sometimes 
where like where people put a lot of hate mail on me and then I get frustrated and I go back and I'm like, you guys are doing this and this and that. And then my, the spirits come through and my ancestors come through and they're like, apologize for that. That is not how you're going to do it. <laughs> oh, dude. See, I'm I, either I'm not popular enough or I'm just not that controversial. But for some reason, and don't start doing it now, fuckers. I don't get trolled much. You know, like you're so lucky. People don't talk a lot of shit about me. Um, but every once in a while, actually, this is a good one. I want to run by you. I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit because you are a person of color and it's just. Oh God, am I going to go here? Yeah, I'm going to fucking go here. Because when I see you, I see my friend Derek. I see your eyes. I see your spirit. I don't give a fuck what your sexual preference is, what color you are. Since I was a little kid, God bless my mom, who I had a great talk with last night. I mean, one of my first lessons in life is like, that's just like someone's suit they're wearing. It's my biological space too. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking, it's, it's dumb. Like to even get caught up on that. Um, you know, she was born and raised in Berkeley. And so I was just brought up and even my dad, who's like a hunting fishing guy in Colorado. Like I've just never seen him ever be like, Oh, that's a black person. That's a Mexican person. Like, he doesn't even identify someone in that way. So it's just not part of my paradigm, but back to the trolling thing, it wasn't even a troll. I just took the bait recently when I saw, I have an application on my phone that goes bing when I get a review on my podcast. 99.999% of the time, <laughs> the reviews on my podcast are like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm learning so much. This transformed my life. And they're so beautiful to see. And sometimes there's constructive criticism. It's like, oh, I wish he would talk about this more, this less, or I wish he would shut the fuck up and let the, <laughs> let the guests talk more. And, you know, some valid points there. But one of them the other day was like, I used to like this show... But now it's like just because there was a show I did where, God forbid, I interviewed a white male like myself. And they were like, this is just like two white male bros. This thing is so like heteronormative and white. And I'm like, you're fucking racist. Like, imagine if I gave a review of a podcast and I was like, I don't know who wants to listen to these two black ladies like sister it up. I mean, I would be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you just change oh, the color and the gender, you would be called fucking Hitler, you know? And I was like, really? So then, but that's my ego defensiveness. I'm like, I'll fucking prove you wrong. But I did post it on Instagram stories. And I was like, yo, girl, you're fucking racist. Like, take a look in the mirror. This is negative. Like, get the fuck out of here. Whatever I said, you know, I tried to be diplomatic, but really I was actually annoyed by it. And then I started thinking, I was like, okay, maybe there's some truth here. A, it's not true that there's something wrong with having a conversation with someone who has pink skin and blue eyes and I have that same color skin and brown eyes like okay we're not wrong for being white and being male because that's not even who we are we're souls that are just in this spacesuit right and I didn't choose to be fucking born the way that I look and the gender that I am so let's leave her criticism of that apart but I thought well you know is my show inclusive enough like do I am I including everyone and then I did a little math and I looked at my website because her gripe was kind of that there's, it's too dude, it's too broy. That's what she said. The know? bro show. Yeah, and I'm like, is that is that really true? Let me do some inquiry because my first thing, as I said, was defensiveness. So I went on my podcast and I didn't add up every number, but I think I'm around like 60% female guests. Not by design. I just I find a lot of women in the world interesting, and I want to sit down and talk to them. I don't think about oh, I got to interview women. I'm just like, who's doing shit I want to learn about. Um, and there's been definitely a minority of people with darker skin like yourself. 
again, I don't think about that when I'm booking a guest. Like, hmm, do I want to have that person on? I don't think about like what color their meat suit is. Mm. And then I thought, well, yeah, geez, you know, I've not, maybe I've, I've only interviewed a couple Asian people and there's been a couple African-American people. There's been maybe a few Latin people. And it would be like fabricated if I listened to that person. I was like, oh, fuck, I need to go interview a bunch of black people. Mm-hmm. Like that would not be authentic. It's no, like, not at all. If someone comes along and they happen to, to have a certain skin color or another certain skin color or certain genitalia, I'm going to fucking interview them because I'm interested in what they have to say. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. is secondary. But being a black dude yourself, what do you think about this idea of inclusiveness and that everyone should have an even ratio of everything? And do you feel like you're included in things? And do you feel um, racism? Or do you even think about things like that? I mean, do you walk around going, I'm a black dude? Or you just walk around like, I'm a spiritual being? Um, I do both. Because I want to understand the temperature of climate that happens on the planet for the fact that racism still exists on the planet and it shouldn't, uh, however, it still does. And so therefore, in order for me to be able to bring a wisdom and clarity around it, I do have to experience, that's why I chose this biological spacesuit. I didn't choose this biological spacesuit just because I'm Shaman Dirk or because I'm whatever. I chose to be a male with a female spirit that is able, that has chosen a melanated um, skin tone to experience what racism is on this planet and to experience also what the idea of masculine is and the idea of feminine as well. And then the blurring between sexuality, ideas of sexuality and how people choose to label themselves and define themselves in this here and now time of of evolution. And so do I think that the wellness world is much more predominantly white? Absolutely. I have found that a lot of the wellness world will go to other cultures and utilize the knowledge and information from those cultures that are coming from either indigenous or from like India or Africa or from like, you know, uh, you know, Indonesian or all of these things. And then, um, and then adopt those principles and then begin to emulate them into the wellness world as, you know, this is who I am. This is what I am without actually giving back to those cultures and giving back to the relationship that those cultures have cultivated throughout time to bring those knowledges and those ideas forth. Um, so I do see, uh, you know, because I'm, a, 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 uh, how do I say, I'm very observant being, even though I know that this is just my biological spacesuit, but I do have to acknowledge what also I came on the earth to, to, to forward Mar- Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. And in order to do so, I need to understand in order for there to be an all-inclusive understanding of people from all walks of life, all colors, all sexuality, and all these different ideas and concepts, I do need to understand where the imbalance lies. And what I do see, um, which I find fascinating, is that there are a lot of people who don't think that they're racist, but they are. <laughs> right, right. Because they will say, right. oh, well, I, you know, you know, I'll say, I'll look at their, you know, I look at different like leading podcast people and I look on their, on their roster. I go down their list and I find no black people, no Latin people, just like blonde girls, brown hair, brown hide guys, like, you know, just very, very, that very, you know, um, Anglo Saxon, Caucasian, you know, look, but not, operating from from culture, you know? And I find it very fascinating. I go, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And I've had situations where I've been, you know, I, I wanted to go on certain podcasts and so forth. 
And I noticed that they didn't bring me on because they were uncomfortable with, you know, some aspect of my being. Now, do I have a correct reference that it could have been the color of my skin? But when I look at their roster and I say, hey, there's no people, or when I look at companies like Hay House and I go, hey, where's all the colored people who have knowledge and information that comes from their roots and their cultures and their understandings of theology, philosophy, and you know, an observation of creation, they have a lot to say as well. So I do think that there is a deficit. I do. I see there's a deficit and I feel like it's not about running and trying to get uh, the next, you know, um, melanated woman or the next Latin woman or the next Asian woman on your podcast or in your, in your health and wellness. But I do believe that we need to start expanding health and wellness to all communities. I do believe there's a lot of people of color who have a lot of information, but don't feel accepted in the white community as far as the wellness world is concerned. I actually just, they just, did, they just interviewed me in London for Glamour magazine. I did a whole thing about this, um, how the, the wellness world is whitewashed. And I do believe that it is because I don't see a lot of people of color being brought forth and lifted at the plateau that you and I are to bring their messages and so forth because I can feel them holding back because they're not being, they don't feel like they're being invited in. Uh, so it's like a self-perpetuating um, exclusivity where the invite's not felt. And so, you know, someone's not putting themselves in a position like to me, honestly, and you know, I don't mean to sound naive where like, I don't, I understand within our social constructs that the color of your skin is very fucking meaningful and that, I'm much more fortunate being born in 1970 in California with less pigment in my skin than more that my life was probably a little easier. That said, I had some fucked up shit happen to me for Absolutely. most of my life too. You, have. you know, every, like Bob Marley said, um, you know, uh, what does he say? It's one of my favorite quotes and it's slipping my mind. Oh, every man's burden is the heaviest, right? So we all have subjective suffering and we experience that to the degree that we do. And so I'm aware of that. And also someone who is wanting to get as many different points of view as possible on my podcast and the media that I'm producing, um, I don't think about <laughs> the color of someone's skin or their gender when I have them on the show. I'm just looking for people that are doing cool shit and I don't really care. you know. So it's from my perspective, it's like, I know that I'm not racist, but when someone makes that comment like on my podcast but that's why like, they're making the comment and they're but they're going and it's a white lady who's of course who's criticizing me and another white guy i'm like wow that's the opposite of martin luther king's message his message was i don't judge people by the color of their skin but of their character and when i'm producing media as i do I'm judging people as whether I think that they would be a fit on my platform as by their character and the essence of their energy and their information and body of knowledge and I want to include people that have less of a voice and yeah. oftentimes that they're not even selected based on, I'm like, oh, I want to give this person a chance because they're not being accepted in the wellness world. I'm like, dude, I've interviewed people on the fly, like, like Matt, actually, that was the, the show she was bitching about. He was an 18 year old kid that I met on the street in New York City. Never yeah, been you're on, telling about him. Yeah, never been on a podcast, didn't know shit. But I was like, I'm going to help this kid out because he's smart and he's talented. And maybe he never had a shot on a podcast, not because of the color of his skin or his race, but just because no one would give him a chance, you know? And so I want to give everyone a chance. And also, if my show is like, say, 50% about biohacking, I, I know maybe like two or three African-American dudes that are into biohacking. 
you know? So it's like... But I don't think this is a reflection on you. I think this is a reflection on you to look at where there is an imbalance in the health and wellness world. Okay. You know, I... um, How can I put it? Like, I see and know that there is different energies of groundedness in different people's cultures. And I've learned this uh, very, very on um, based upon the lineage of the things that the culture has gone through. You know, for instance, like when I sit down with a friend of mine who's Caucasian, okay? Um, And I'm just using color just to give the description of the thing because I really don't care. But let's just say, I know that when I'm talking to my friend who's Caucasian, he tends to or she tends to stay in a certain place of comfort when it comes to how deep and how sensual and how how grinding and how, you know, um, like going into the deep root of the conversation. When I sit down with like, uh, you know, a melanated sister or a melanated brother, the conversation becomes very deep, very grinding, very like, let's get in there and like whatever, because of the certain ways the cultures were raised and what they've gone through throughout their lineages, you know? Oh, right, right. And I mean, especially if we look at like, you know, epigenetics, for instance, you know, if you look at the um, African-American culture, they're, they're, they went through a lot of slavery, a lot of relocation, a lot of survival to keep their family members together. So there's a deep way that we're raised than when I would go to my friends' houses who are like my friends who are, you know, um, Caucasian or white, however you want to interpret it. I watched how their parents would communicate. I watched their body language. I watched how they would sit on the table and eat and how they would eat and like all of these different things. And then I go to my friend's house who's like me, who's melanated. And I watch the, the, the deepness of emotion, like these deep core level emotions that are so deep. It's like like someone cutting into your body. There's a certain energy of that. When I talk to my friends who are from India, there's a deep, there's, a, some, there's this unique, intense, mystical um, something that's coming out of them that I don't get when I'm talking to my friend who's Asian, you know? So there's all these beautiful colors, these beautiful um, arrays of colors that need to be shared with the world. And what I think is, is that, and, and you know, and I'm not blaming this on, on white people at all. I'm, I'm basically saying that all those who do have melanated and who are color and uh, different cultures need to step up and need to step up and say, you know what? I don't need to be invited. I've invited myself and really get into that space because we have so much knowledge to share through culture and there's so much knowledge to share through culture. Like when I, when I moved to Turkey, one of the things that I found was so fascinating is that the Turkish people, when they speak, their emotions are so intense that they're manifesting immediately when they open their mouths. But then when I was in Israel... I noticed that when they speak, there's these codes that get activated. And then when I was dealing with Palestinians or different people, everyone has these different ways. And so it's, it's nice to, to, to uh, I would say, for the wellness and spiritual community to, to kind of bring this kind of all collective, all informational source and start thinking like, hey, you know, yes, there's this yoga instructor who is, you know, this blonde haired blue-eyed girl, but I want to see what the yoga instructor who's this, you know, African-American woman who, you know, um, you know, is doing yoga 
how what how her how's her perspective versus her perspective you know and i think that creates a contrasting for education and also a contrasting for us to develop new ways of looking at things from different angles it doesn't mean that one is right over the other it just means it gives you a different more broader viewpoint it's like looking at the rainbow of its many colors and spectrums that it can shine through a human being that's how i look at it i think that's really interesting from the perspective of you know, because I'm just like, fuck all that. I'm colorblind. Like, I, don't, I just don't, I don't think like that. But I think the thing that you said that's really um, piquing my interest is looking at the DNA code of the lineage, right? So to me, I don't, like, it doesn't mean shit to me that you come in and you have darker skin than me. Exactly. I'm not like, oh, I'm interviewing a black guy. Like, I yeah, just, no, no, that, not that. that doesn't even cross my mind. No. But because of the DNA code of your lineage, you're going to have a different point of view than someone who comes in with the Viking Caucasian code that's you got it. going back, that's you know, what I'm to about. you know, that's from Norway or yeah, yeah. Finland or wherever, right? It's like in that lineage. And so in my Euro Mutt code, I don't even know what I am. I'm so many damn things. Um there's something there in my lineage that's a unique offering because of my ancestry that I could bring to the table. And that is true of all those other people. So it's not so much about the superficiality of someone's That's particular right. skin tone. It's about yes. like, ooh, what's behind them in the lineage that they're carrying and might not even be aware that they're carrying because it's still unfolding. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I was. Ex- I was, couldn't wait to ask you this because for some reason I got super triggered by that comment. A, because I thought I just don't like racism no matter who it's against, this happened to be white race against white people. It's not because I'm white that that bothered me. I just think racism is fucking dumb and I don't like ignorant <laughs> ideas. It's just dumb. It's just, it's an ignorant idea. It's just, it's not logical. It makes no sense from my I mean, yeah, I get reverse, I get reverse racism from, from, you know, from a melanated community for my girlfriend being white. Oh, right. So I not only get it from the white side of the you know population who are racist against my relationship with um with with Marta with Princess Marta, I also get it from what what people, the African com- uh, American community, as you would say, um, that I've sold out and that I should be with the sister. Oh, that's fucking so dumb. So it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, and actually, both you know her and I laugh at the whole thing because it's just like, oh my god, really? Like this is what we're focusing on. Right. You know, <laughs> but again, these are symptoms. These are not the core issues of what is causing our, our, our human race to attack one another and act against each other and act out of character. These are symptoms of a much bigger issue. And that's the thing that we need to be looking at. It doesn't matter if we want to focus on symptoms and do things in a compartmentalized way, then that's our choice to do so. However, the, the, the sickness that we have inside of us is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and fatter and fatter and fatter and consume even more of us because we're not identifying the real situation. That's interesting. You just reminded me of something. I was dating a black girl when I, most of my primary long-term relationships have been with either mixed or with black women. I, I don't know why I just ended up that way. And, um, my first girlfriend, when I moved to LA, um, was an, Oh God, amazing singer. And we we're in a band together and we were dating and this is in LA in the early nineties. And there was a lot of racism here because you had, I remember 
I'm not in the early 80s, um, 90s. I remember the 90s. In the early 90s. And so you had the Rodney King beating, you had the LA riots. There was a lot of tension and you had a very corrupt LAPD, the Rampart Division. There was a lot of racism within the LAPD. They were doing all kinds of fucked up stuff. So there was a lot of like tension in the air. And um, I would be out with her and we'd be, you know, walking down Hollywood Boulevard on our way to do a gig or whatever. And um, and black guys would pass us and talk shit to her. Mm-hmm. They weren't pissed at me. Like I was always afraid I was going to get my ass beat. And I'm just like, I love this girl. Like I don't even care what color she is. We we dig each other. What mm-hmm. the fuck? But they never said shit to me. I never felt really threatened. But they would always get on her as like being, you know, like kind of a traitor. Like you yeah, said, a sellout. sellout. And I just remember I was so sad. Why are you with the white devil? That's the stuff. Yeah, like I was like so saddened by that. I mean, I get it, you know, understanding, you know, as much as I can coming from the historical perspective of that point of view and all the pain body that exists generationally yeah, going back exactly. so long. Like I get it. It's not like I'm like, oh, why don't you guys just be chill? But it was it was sad for me because I'm just like, I'm this innocent you know, 21 yeah. year old kid, it's just colorblind and is just in love with someone. And it They're was like, why are you dating the master? Yeah. It was like, really, it was just <laughs> it's it was, ridiculous. It was I really know. heartbreaking at that time. And and then, you know, at least in this city that subsided and I, I never really experienced that again, you know, when I would date women of color after that, but it's, um, I don't know, man. I just, I, I hope that through the work we're doing in conversations like this that we can all uplift. And I think it's a healthy perspective where you do acknowledge history, you do acknowledge differences, you acknowledge culture, you acknowledge ancestry, lineage, and also the fact that it's just a spacesuit. You know, that both are true, all are true. Yeah, like stop putting so much in, like on it. You know what I mean? Like I always say, yeah. like people take life way too seriously. They put too many roles. Like even today I was talking to, you know, one of my students and I said, I said to her, it's really challenging a lot of times in this planet for me because there's so many roles. There's rules and rules and rules and rules and rules. And a lot of these rules have never been examined. They're just rules. And if you break those rules, people get mad at you, you know? And so, you know, for me, I find that a very fascinating thing. And, you know, and also to the context of what you're saying um, in regards to racism in the 90s, I remember I would go... Uh, I would come to from San Francisco to LA and get like uh, you know go to a party and then tell I have I, I tell everyone in the party I'm having an after party at the you know the Beverly Hills the Beverly Hills Hotel or whatever and people would say to me okay great and they would like totally ignore me like who's this guy saying that he's having a party at the Beverly Hills Hotel so I told my friend I was a friend named Anthony I said Anthony I need you to go around this room and tell everyone you're throwing a party at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And then he would go around and they're like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to be there. Where? What's the, what's the address? And da, 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 da. So it was really funny. So then we're at the hotel, right? And I like, and I had like got all of the room and everything set up, you know, and had it like, you know, just like super like sick, delicious, amazing experience. And people came in and they're just like, who, who got this suite and who, who's paying for all of this? And my friend Anthony was like, my friend Dirk is paying for it. And they were like, the black guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was quite an experience, you know, at right. that time. And, you know, oh, and, I, and I, and I, the thing is, is like, I was talking to friends of mine the other day. I mean, I, I deal with racism when you're, when you're, when you're um, a melanated person, I mean, I go on elevators and I watch women hold their bags and look at me. Oh my God. And like, I deal with it all the time. I see it all the time. I see it in the wellness community. I see how people look at me. 
They like, who's this guy talking? Oh, what is he about? And da 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 da. Or who's this guy who was Princess Marta? Who does he think he is? And did, you know, I can see it, I can feel it, I can smell it, I can taste it. Now, the question is, what do I do with that information? And how do I use that information to better our world? And how do you? So right now, for so me, say you're confronted with the situation. Well, I mean, maybe no one would be so adver- overt as to say something to you. But I mean, like, do you ever walk in a store and they're like they're looking at you more than they're looking at the white dude there? Of course, and shit like that. Yeah, of course. And so, I mean, how do you? That's got to be painful. How do you bring unconditional love in a situation like that where? You know, you're you're innocent. You're just doing you, and you're getting that kind of shade thrown at you. Yeah. So, uh, in that situation, you know, I just don't really pay attention because I go in and I do my thing, and I realize that that's where they are in evolution. But like, here, let's take it for instance. Like last week, I'm at the airport with my publicist. We were just flying back um, from San Francisco because I was doing a lecture at this college, and uh, there were these three guys. I knew they were racist because of the way they were speaking to me and cracking jokes and I could hear them. She didn't know. So uh, as I was, you know, I was going because I have this thing where you can go in front of the line, you know, I think I forget what it's called, clear or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, go in front of the line, whatever. And then I see them and they're like, they look at me and they're like, they're like laughing and whatever. And then they turn to me and say like, um, you do realize that the line's over there. Like, you like, you do realize that, right? And I heard this voice in my head go, they have an issue with you because of your color of your skin. And so I was just like, okay, okay, okay. And then they went behind me and I could hear them making racial comments behind Are me. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah, And I've dealt with this many times. Like, oh my God. And then like, they were, were you like, transported into 1936? Like, what the hell? Oh no, you don't even understand. Like I Dude. was on tour a year and a half ago and I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was staying at the Ritz Carlton meeting my students who, you know, we were going to have dinner and then I was going to do this thing for their whole family. And they wouldn't even take my car. They wouldn't even take my car. The valet just turned their backs on me. I just drove up and they saw the color of my skin <laughs> oh my and God, they just like dude. turned around. And then I got out of the car and was like, could you please park my car? And they're like, Whoa. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll park myself. And then I go in the hotel um, and I tell them, you know, I have a suite and I also have an arranged chef table at the restaurant Salt. And uh, I have some guests coming and da 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 da. And they're like, you have a reservation at Salt. I'm like, yeah, my assistant made the reservation. Is everything okay? They're like, okay, we need to check that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, so they checked that. So then we ended up going to the restaurant. Oh, and when I go there, the woman, I was like, oh, I have a reservation at Salt. Um, and they're like, excuse me, what's your name? I'm like, Dirk Verrett. And they're like, um, are you sure you have the chef's table? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have the chef's table. My assistant made the, the call. And they're like, huh. And then they go, um, then they, they go, oh, well, yeah, here's your reservations right here. And then the, you know, the, the party comes and we get to the chef table. And when everyone in the restaurant saw that it was black, they all called for their checks. And then the woman who came out to serve the table looked at me and she goes, oh, no. And she walked away. There was like silence. It was just us sitting at the chef's table, no one else in the restaurant. And then this other German woman came out and she goes, I can't believe racism still exists like this. This is crazy. She won't serve you because you're black. I was like, yeah, I figured that much. Will you serve us? And she goes, absolutely. My manager sent me out here to deal with the situation. 
And it was not even just that. It was even when I went into where Amelia Island was. I went to a cafe and they wouldn't serve. They served everyone at their tables except for me. And my friend stood up and goes, if you don't serve my friend and I right now, I'm going to throw the biggest scene you've ever seen. And then they were like, came over to me. They're like, hurry up and eat and get out. You know, and like when I went into town to do some like shopping. Wait, what goddamn town was this? Jacksonville, in? Florida. Oh my God. But it's not just Jacksonville. It's other places that I've been. It's like, but wow. when you grow up with that in America, yeah. you build a tougher skin around it. You right. see it and you're just like, oh, poor darlings. Now, 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 now a lot of uh, people who are melanated don't say poor darlings. They just get angry. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that people are where they are in their evolution. I've heard, I've had people hold guns to my head who are KKK and I've dealt with a lot of crazy things um, in my life when it comes to racial issues. So I handle things a little bit different than a normal um, African-American person would handle it who has been, is who's angry about the situation. What I don't, um, you know, really adhere to is violence. When it becomes violent, that's a problem. When it's just calling me names and saying things, I'm just like, okay, wow, okay, you know. And then there's days like, you know, where I'll get letters from different countries that will say things to me ever since they heard about my relationship. I get letters from people who are like, we don't want a nigger in uh, the royal palace. Like, who do you think you are? You know, I'll lynch you, I'll cut you, I'll do this to you, I'll do that to you. And I did a big interview in London Times that did a whole story about like the issues that I've been dealing with ever since being with my girlfriend, Princess Marta. And it's fascinating because I just kind of look at it and now I have to, of course, report it all to the police. But I look at it and I go, wow, people have that much energy and they're still stuck in that paradigm that I threatened them because of the color of my skin instead of the, my love of my heart. And how much devotion I have given to humanity. But it's okay, you know, because we are moving through the signs of times. And I'm still going to keep doing what I need to do. And if it ruffles people's feathers and makes them upset, so be it. How do you handle... (laughs) I'm like... I'm upset because I get like one negative iTunes review. <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, when I was a kid and I looked really weird and had dyed hair and earrings and makeup and shit, I, I experienced a little bit of that where I was like, well, that's oh, awesome, dude. I'm like, like, I'm about to get my ass beat by some rednecks. Like that was, that was a reality, <laughs> uh, you know, nowhere near what you're describing, but you know, a little, a little taste of, of being an outsider here and there. I would have been there with you. Cause that's, that's my style. Right. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to now this relationship you're in, which is so fascinating, and you're with someone who's in a part of a royal family and is very high profile and um, all of that. And now when we were hanging out in London, you're like, oh, yeah, dude, when I go to my hotel tonight, like paparazzi will be waiting on the curb and like photographing me and all that. I'm like, oh, this sounds like a fucking nightmare. Everyone thinks they want to be famous, right? In Hollywood, everyone wants to be famous. I don't think they realize like, yo, I just want to go to Trader Joe's and like get some granola, like leave me alone. So now you're kind of, you know, you're in this very high profile relationship, which is now I'm seeing more controversial because you're not a white dude from another royal family in Europe or something like that. Or um, some lawyer or doctor yeah, or some, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And you're, you know, not only like 
a dark skinned person, but you're really out there and like you're seeing shit in different dimensions and all your, you know, shamanic explorations. Um, <laughs> how, how do you, how, how are you dealing with this sudden influx of paparazzi and so much, you know, press and these really online trolls, not only trolls saying they don't like you, but they, they want to harm you and all this. Like, how are you handling that just psychologically and keeping your Zen formation? It hasn't been easy. And I have gotten a lot of counsel from a lot of friends of mine who are really high level celebrities who I used to always tell like, well, you chose this path, you know, like da, 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 da. I was so arrogant. To, I'm arrogant in saying that to them when not knowing what they're really feeling. I was only looking from the lens that I was seeing as the shaman thinking like, well, this is the path you chose and this is the road you laid. And so therefore you have to realize that this is what comes along with it right. until it's you. And you know, I'll be honest, like when I first, when we first announced our relationship globally, I went into shock. I mean, I would cry to my girlfriend. I would like lay in my bed and start shaking. And I, I would, every time I walk out the door, there'd be like a camera in my face. And like, even when I came to the airport, especially in Norway, they made a circle around me. I thought I was going to trip over my luggage. So I was, I was really holding my cool, but at the same time, wanting to say something to them and be loving and polite. Uh, whereas my niece was just like, get them out of our face. You know, it was intense because I thought, oh, it was only going to end there, but it didn't. And so I would come back to my place and they'd be hiding behind vans. The whole ducking thing to me is actually hilarious. As if I don't see the paparazzi. <laughs> That's the, the shit that I think is the hilarious what shit. What do you mean? Okay. So I come out of the hotel. I, so here's a perfect example. We're in New York. We're at my resident hotel, the Mondrian, where I stay. And, uh, you know, the, there's a van across the street. And I, there's a man who sits in the van all day. And he has a camera at the window of the hotel lobby. And he just sits there like this. And he looks. And when he sees me or my girlfriend enter into the lobby, he gets a walkie-talkie and he goes and tells all the paparazzis where we're going to be. How we're coming out, get your cameras ready. They're coming. Let's get the shot. But whatever he's saying, I can see him. At first, I didn't know because one day we were coming back one night from dinner. And I go, oh, that's a strange van across the street. She goes, honey, that's the paparazzi. And like, so she's educating me on where they're hiding. Right. So now I'm learning like, like where like, like one time I was at the palace and it was, um, you know, for one of their amazing days that they celebrate, I think it's the constitutional day. And, you know, she's like, we're going to go in and you're going to go straight into the palace and you're not going to linger in the courtyard. And I was like, I don't see any paparazzi. There's no one here. She goes, okay, honey. Let me educate you on the new life of yours. Do you see that tree way, 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 way over there? There's a man in the tree with a big lens who's looking at you right now. <laughs> oh my God, dude. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, so she'll be like, and that van that's outside that you see when we come in, those are the paparazzi. And you see that man in the corner who's acting like he's sitting in the bench and he's like minding his own business. He's also the paparazzi. And you see the one who's across the street over there walking like he's having a nice stroll through the park? That's the paparazzi. And you see the one who just ducked because I looked and he went behind the van. That's the ducking thing I was yeah, telling yeah. you about. That's the paparazzi. But the weird thing about it is, is that I'll be walking down the street and I see that they come out like this and they're like... And then they dunk under the car as if I didn't see where you were going. <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, you know, and dude. then they come out and then they wait. And then when I turn my head, they come out again. 
and and it's like, like watching them moving around the street. I see like one on this corner, there's one behind, there's one over here. When we were in Turkey, I thought, okay, I'm gonna get this villa. My girlfriend, my family, one of my close friends from my childhood, and it's going to be this, you know, place for us to relax and be exclusive with ourselves and whatever. And I'm coming out of the villa, and I see this head pop up above the bush, and it's like. So we're in, we're inside the villa, and she comes in, she closes the curtains, and she's like, "Honey, you cannot take off your clothes in front of a window anymore, because they can see you. They can see into the window at everything that we're doing." You have to learn these ways. So it's like a crash course, you know? I'm on a crash course. I make a lot of mistakes. I'll be honest about it. I've made some serious mistakes that I've embarrassed her, embarrassed her family, embarrassed the kids that I had to take responsibility for. There's things that I've done. I'm not perfect and I don't proclaim to be perfect, but I'm learning. And it's about respecting her culture, respecting her and learning about her culture. Because I don't know, learn, know about how, how Norwegians think and how they perceive things and all of this kind of thing. So I'm learning. But it's not just Norway. I'll be in London and we're coming out and there's a guy in a wheelchair and I'm thinking, oh, it's just some guy in the wheelchair. And then he turns around and he goes, Shaman Derek, Princess Marta. And we're like, and he's like, <laughs> I was like and then I was like, so we went into place and I was like, oh, this guy's in a wheelchair. So when we come out, we can just, you know, like, like, like make a beeline for the car. Well, he wasn't paralyzed. We go towards the car. The guy pulls off the blanket out of the wheelchair and starts running after us faster than I could run, you know? And so oh he blocks God. the door and I'm like, get out of the way of the door. And so he moves around us. We close the door, but the guy in the car had the window open. So he puts his hand in the window and he takes pictures of us in the window and the guy, the guy, the guy who our driver was was shocked. So he just left the car. He didn't move the car. So the guy's just taking picture after picture after picture after picture. And the thing is, the thing is, my friend, my friend Kelly Rutherford said something to me really interesting. She's like, "Honey, you have to look at it like this: these people have to feed their kids. They have families. They have bills. They have to make their money. Let them take their shot." Stand and be beautiful. You and Princess Martha look very beautiful. Let them take their shot, and then you go on about your life. Which I do, but then sometimes it's too much. They keep following you all day long. You get in a car, they have a car waiting to follow you. You go into an event, they follow you in the event. You go to the gym, they follow you to the gym. You go to this, they do that. So for me, it's been an adjustment. I've been more, more mindful of where I'm, where I'm at, what I'm doing. At first, I thought it was just going to be the Norwegian press, but it hasn't. It's been Spain. It's been England. It's been press in America. It's everywhere. And I've learned, even in Turkey, and I've learned that that's what my life is going to be like. And, it's, and I'm still learning how to adjust to it. I'm learning how to adjust to the trolls that come at me from like not one or two, but like a thousand or a hundred. Like on my DMs are like and it's just all people saying really mean things. And then there's a lot of people, which is what I focus on, is a lot of people giving me a lot of beautiful things. Like you inspire us. People writing me from South Africa, from Africa. Oh my God, your relationship inspires me. You know, you've given us people hope, you know, we love you in Norway. Don't listen to what they're saying. Like we get all that stuff and we focus on that and we focus our energy on that instead of focusing on all the negative because the negative can wear you out. If you're, if you're in a, like, you had a hard day, I'm shooting, a, I've been shooting like four films. I have another film I'm doing on Sunday. I did a TV show. I'm, I'm working, going into another big feature film I'm doing is all these things are going on. And it's like, 
you're tired. You're, you've been shooting all day. You know what it's like sitting in front of these lights and cameras. They're doing my makeup. I'm doing a shoot for this magazine. I'm interviewing, then I'm going and lecturing, and I'm jumping on an airplane, and I'm lecturing again, and I'm doing this. And then you have time enough with your family, time enough for your girlfriend, time enough for the, her kids, so you can be, um, you know, around a well-rounded person. And then you have to make time for yourself, which is, uh, which is a challenge, you know, for me, um, because my time for myself is at five and four o'clock in the morning, you know, where and so that's where I have my peace of mind or late at night. But if I stay late at night, then I have to get up at four or five in the morning. Sometimes I have to take like do like three, you know, meditations during the day to make up for the time that I lost in sleep. So it's a balance and it's being able to handle the intensity of it all. When you come off shooting a TV show or you're coming off a set and then you pick up your phone and check your Instagram and it's just like, hate, 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 love, hate, hate, love, 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 hate, hate, hate. And sometimes now before I used to read it. Now, the moment I see just any hate, I block them. Me too. I become a block freak. <clears throat> That's exactly. Block and bless. Block and bless. <laughs> block and bless. I've been blocking people. Like It's been so much fun. Yeah. And my girlfriend is doing it now too. We just been blocking people. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be a part of our life? Peace. Yeah. Good. Bye. It's a, it's a good feeling when you resist the egoic temptation to fight Not back and make them pay and to win. Because that's the first thing I want to do. Like, oh, really, motherfucker? You yeah, said what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you. And it's like, now I already lost the game by engaging. I've done that. Now I dip down to their their level, which is kind of the thing I experienced I was telling you about earlier because I, I got defensive. You know, I'm like, how dare you? I'm a good person, you know? And it's like, why defend myself to someone who's low vibe? Just block. You don't get to be part of my little... Why defend little, yourself to someone yeah. who is not able to see the truth of your being? Right. You know, it's like... People, when Jesus was walking the earth, people were, you know, doing the same thing, just in different ways. And people have been doing that since the dawning of time, you know, and, and the difference is now they can't just come up to you and poison your food and do all these different things. I mean, I'm sure they could, but not at the level that they used to back then. What we have to understand is that like, when you are stepping out in the public with a message that can rile people up or ruffle their feathers, you and I are feather rufflers. And we have to be okay with that. And, and that's literally what my sister and what my niece and what, my, what Sam and a lot of everyone who you know, is in my team remind me. They're like, you're a feather ruffler. You are going to upset people. Ride it. Like it's okay because the message is still getting out there. And I, and I, and I look at like when I go back into the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King and look at how many times he got stuff from people, you know, I look at all of the pioneers of consciousness, you know, even Helen Keller got stuff because she was talking about creating a system for people who are blind and deaf. And everyone's like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> you're crazy. Steve Jobs got told off. They were like, oh yeah. Okay. You're crazy. Not only are you crazy, we're going to take your company from you because you are a cuckoo bird. You are a literally crazy man and you can't run your own company. So peace out. We got this now. We're going to push you over here. Like every single person who pioneers, engineers, new ideas into consciousness are going to get that. I mean, look at Thomas Edison, Benjamin Franklin, all were considered crazy. I mean, to the point where Thomas Edison had an underground speakeasy to share his ideas with his colleagues so no one could hear about them so they can lock him up in the paddy wagon. So you have to understand, like, 
you know, and people who like who were doing photography in the ancient days were considered the, 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 the devil's masters. They were taking pictures of people. People saw that as evil. The Wright brothers were considered crazy cuckoo heads. Like you really think we're going to be able to fly like a bird in the sky on some kind of thing that looks like a bird? Yeah, right. You know? You know, Amelia, Amelia Earhart, you, you, you mean to tell me you as a woman, you as a woman are going to fly a, like, and, and do this trip and do this and do that. But guess what? They did. And so that's what we have to hold strong to. In terms of relating, this is the last thing I want to cover. Uh, you've described yourself as soul sexual when it comes to sexual preference. And, you know, you're pretty open about this, but we've had conversations about human sexuality, preferences. You like men, you like women, all of this stuff, which again, to me, just, I, don't, I really don't care. It's not something I even pay attention to. It's like what, where you want to put your reproductive organs and who of like, don't hurt anyone, have fun. You know, that's kind of my philosophy. But now you're, you're dating a woman, but you say that you're soul sexual. What does that mean? And uh, what do you think about people that are deeply identified with their sexuality and all the stuff that we have going on socially now, I think because of the bigotry and rejection by what was considered the norm historically, now people are becoming more free and now there's all this activism and all of these labels. Mm -hmm. And so many people are identified like who they are as a being according to, you know, how they want to identify and who they want to, you know, be intimate with and all of this stuff. Like what's your whole trip on that? in the context of being in what seems like a really wonderful relationship, apart from the weirdos with cameras following you around. <laughs> so yes, I'm soul sexual and I always will be soul sexual. However, I have an amazing woman in my life and I'm in the relationship with her and I'm okay with that. And she's okay in understanding that I am a soul sexual person. I have a female and masculine energy that is very balanced. And you know, I'm a type of person that I'm not in love with the just all men and all women. I'm in love with the soul. I'm in love with the energy. And there is that connection. When it comes to the identification of soul sexual and why I created the idea of soul sexual is because all these things like I'm cis, I'm bi, I'm straight, I'm this, I'm blah, 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 which are all more advertising labels that give people and the system a right to consume more products to you and to keep you in this very advertising, you know, field oh, of shit. consciousness. Wow. Right. And or to so, get votes. I've noticed that a lot. Like politicians will be popping off. Like all of a sudden they're like all sexually inclusive and welcome. Like what? It's like, it's so it's a transparent ply for votes. Of course, from, from it's a boxes and labels yeah. and commercials now are being geared towards certain um, sexualities. And it's, it's just, it's such a plethora of alphabets and information of labels that I think it takes us away from the core aspect of being a spiritual being and more into, again, another label. Like for instance, black in America is an advertisement. It's an advertisement for consumerism as so is white, as so is any of these things. So they can categorize you, put you in a box, separate you from each other and sell you things that fit in with the labels and the boxes that you have been put into. I think that has that narrative needs to come to an end. And so the reason why I say soul sexual is because you're not really, in, you're in love with the person's soul. You fall in love with their soul. You fall in love with the essence of their being, the nature of who they are. And so for me, I don't put on a rule that was created by the matrix that programs me to be like, I have to deny the fact that I find men attractive or I have to deny the fact that this or that because humans say that if you do that, you're not going to get love or you're going to be an outcast or your friends are going to make fun of you and call you gay or this or that and the other. 
if you if you read um, Spirit Hacking, you realize that there was a part in the book where I talk about my homophobia, and I talk about growing up with an African father who was very much against homosexuality and very much of my grandfather being against it in the religious context. And me also, you know, doing things um, to to attack that, that, you know, the nature of what people call homosexuality in such a, a deliberate way that my girlfriend was the one who brought it to my attention and was like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? Like, you got an issue here. You need to look at this. You are acting out this way because you have something inside that you don't want to take a look at. You need to go look at it. And it was only through that interaction of her helping me to look at it when she's an amazing girl. Her name is Swan, amazing woman, that she helped me to realize that I had an issue of being molested as a little boy from a male. And then you know, utilize that to look at the, the, the things that I gained from that and the, and the pain for it and go through the pain, but don't sit in the pain and utilize that as an opportunity through my knowledge of shamanism to turn that into some wisdoms and understandings. And what it did was it helped me to understand that I'm attracted to the soul of a human being. I don't, when I look at men, I'm not attracted to all men. I'm attracted to an energy, an essence. When I look at women, I'm not attracted to all women. Well, actually now I'm not attracted to any women because uh, I have the most amazing woman in the world. You know, And not only do I have the most amazing woman in the world, my um, girlfriend, the love of my, the goddess, the empress, the queen that I see her, she is so powerful and so understanding of just accepting all of who I am. Um, whereas I've been in relationships with women and I'll start banging the drums and they'll be like, uh, do you think you cannot do that in the house? Okay, we're not for each other. You know, if I start dancing around and put like a feather on my head and like, whoa, 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 whoa. And my girlfriend starts looking at me strange and sideways, you're not the right woman for me. My girlfriend now doesn't do that. She's like, she's like, oh, I love it, babe. Keep banging it harder. You know, like, oh, put more feathers in your head or whatever. Like, <laughs> let's go play video games. Let's go hang out. Like, okay, let's go play Super Mario. Like, you know, just really cool, down, real, honest. Book, check me in a second. She, you know, people will say in the media that, um, that I put, like a lot of people keep saying like, oh, he put a spell on her through his black magic, which is hilarious. We laugh at it. Cause I'm like, uh, actually, if you were in our household, you would see that I am actually the one who's bowing down to her because I'm like, babe, whatever you say, babe, you're right. Oh, you're right, babe. I shouldn't have exaggerated. Babe, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I'm always like, babe, I messed up, babe. I'm sorry, babe. I said this in, uh, in the public. I shouldn't have said that. Oh my God, babe. You know, and she's like, honey, it's okay. I love you, but you have to make these corrections. She's helping me become a better man. You know, so, but there's, there's no spells being put on her because you can't put a spell on such a powerful woman. It's not possible. She's so activated and so powerful and so wise and so like present in her spiritual gifts and her abilities that I can say something to myself. And she goes, oh, is that what you're thinking right now? I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, you were just thinking right now that, you know, you are going to make changes with our plans. And um, I picked it up in your head. So is that what you're thinking? Why don't you just talk about it with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot you have powers. So it's a really interesting exchange because um, she has powers that are very similar to mine. So nothing, I can't get away with anything. She just like, just grabs me, catches me, you know? And then, and then the great thing about it is that not only does she have powers, but then she has these three lovely girls who I'm in love with and they check me 
They're like, you should have never said that. You should have never done that. What do you mean right there? That's not true. I remember you saying blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, aren't they wonderful? They're just, just, just helping me to just refine myself, refine myself, refine myself. You know. So I think on the context of soul sexual, I think that we need to get into a narrative that is all inclusive, not into these individual narratives that support the matrix and get into something that's all inclusive. So I have chosen to create a soul sexual movement. And to invite anyone who wants to step out of the narrative of the boxes that the matrix has created for you to go into so they can segregate you and keep you separate and step into a reality that you are soul sexual. You are a person who's in love with the soul. And that's it. That's awesome. I like that. You'd be doing me a favor because I honestly, I can't keep track of the acronyms. <laughs> I know. I, I can't even, either. I don't even like say the shit because I'm like, I'm going to get it wrong and someone's going to get pissed. You know, it's just, it's hard to keep up with. And I, and I think it's, you know, something that I really struggle with also is political correctness and this sort of fascist mind control of how everyone has to talk and controlling of thought and speech because someone might get their feelings hurt. I'm just like, I, it's just too much. Like, at what point do you, if you're a kind, compassionate person, like I know that I am, um, I care about all people and I only want to do good in, in this universe, but it's also just... It's hard to just not be you at the same time, you know, and um, I really value authenticity and realness and truth. And um, sometimes when that's present, people's feelings do get hurt, but that's not my problem. That's because of their fragility, but the more their perception. Yeah. Because the more that we have all these constructs and these labels and all these, you know, subdivisions of divisions of divisions, it's like, fuck, at the end of it, it's like, you can't walk or talk without hurting someone's feelings, you know? And I think a lot of this from my perspective is perpetrated by the media and by the entities that own and control the media and all of the Hmm, symptoms of our culture, because if society is divided and separated, they're easier to control. You know, if you have a unified um, culture, a unified um, respect. Yeah. If you have a unified populace of a country, a city, a town, a world, um, they're impossible to control because the unity is what holds them together. And that's where they generate their power. When there's disunity, which is what the media does with all of this segregation and labels, not that the segregation doesn't inherently exist, which we just discussed, but when it's magnified and so much of this stuff is put into the universities and all of this, all of the isms that we're sort of being infected with, I really, truly believe they're deliberately put into society to break us apart in order to control us and and segregate us and extract more taxes from us. Absolutely. I mean, that's like and, really... and consumerize more things for you to buy yeah. so that all the money that you made from all the work that you did do, that you could be using to spend more time with friends and family and enjoy the beauty of nature and, and, and life and breathe clean air and eat good food, you're giving it back to the system because you feel this vacuous void that if I don't buy that and have that and have that, something's missing from me. Right, right. Amen. Well, Jesus, and I mean that figuratively and literally, Jesus, <laughs> the energy and Jesus, the exclamation that, wow, what a conversation. I feel like we just hit a good ending point. Yeah. Yeah. I think I covered everything I wanted to cover. And then when you walk out, I'm like, ah, oh, I forgot to ask him about the thing. And we'll do another one. 
Uh, we're going to be hanging out. It'll be, this will be out after this has happened, but we're going to be hanging out next week at uh, a tune. I know. I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm, we get to be in nature together. I'm super stoked. Oh, I know what? I did want to talk about something. <laughs> no, it's what, dude, because this is one of those touch points you made earlier. This is a, just a little PS here at the end is you were talking about, um, you know, where psychedelics, the plant medicines and stuff take us into these other realms where your average person like me can access these other dimensions and see things that are normally veiled by the human brain that is just limited to this perspective of filters of the matrix. Yeah. Right. So the filters get temporarily dismantled and they give you a view. And then there are people like you that are seeing these things without having to take anything from outside themselves inside. And you're interested in helping people and teaching people to learn how to develop these powers themselves so that, you know, not that necessarily there's wrong with getting help from the plant world or anything like that, but that you can develop these within yourself. And this is the work of Joe Dispenza, man, who's coming to a tune. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've known about him in the periphery for a long time, but he does, you know, these uh, intensives and stuff. I'm going to one in February and people heal themselves of, you know, they hop out of a wheelchair, blindness, cancer, entities come in the room that everyone sees that come in and assist with the healing and all this shit. And no one's taking any drugs at all. Amazing. He's teaching people how to reprogram the subconscious and how to activate the pineal gland and all these things, which, you know, come from the various teachings of, you know, going back through all kinds of different lineages and cultures, right. Mm -hmm. That lead to the same thing. When he talks, I always hear it's, I'm like, this is Kundalini yoga, dude. You know, speaking of like the Indian traditions, but he's teaching people how to harness these powers within themselves without anything from the outside. Which I think is wonderful. And I'm so happy he's isn't on the that, planet. Isn't that cool? Absolutely. So I just, I just wanted to, to bring yeah, I'm that. Excited that I'm, I mean, I'm excited that we're going to be at the same place together. Yeah, it's dope, right? We're all going to be there. It's going to you, me, um, Sahara. Sahara. We and Sahara were just talking about that yesterday. Uh, Light Watkins, Gabrielle Bernstein. I mean, yeah. so many powerful, amazing. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. So, uh, and John Wineland's going to be there. I'm going to get an interview with him too. So, yeah. And even my girlfriend is talking about coming. Oh, yeah. So, you're going oh, to cool. spend some time oh, with her great. as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I met her briefly at your book launch, but it was in passing and you were such a rock star that night. I, you know, there was a lot of people tugging on you. All right, dude. <laughs> uh, including her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming back on the show for round thank two thank you brother thank you I can't wait to do it again absolutely what a way to kick off the new year right I always have such a great time sitting down with Derek and I, I recently figured out I think we might have talked about it in the episode that he lives also in Laurel Canyon which is an area of Los Angeles that I currently reside in and um, he would explain yeah I live like up the hill from you and I thought it, you know Laurel Canyon is kind of a, a big area so I thought, well, it's probably kind of far. Um, <laughs> and then I ran into someone that works for him as I was walking the dog uh, up my little hill at my part of Laurel Canyon. And she's like, hey, what's up, Luke? And I was like, oh, how are you doing? What are you doing here? She's like, oh, Dirk lives here. I think he lives like within, I could probably throw a rock from where I'm sitting right now and hit his house. I don't know which one it is, but uh, it's just funny how those things work. And then um, now he's back in uh Norway, I believe. Um, so we're going to hook up soon. But this was a really just an amazing conversation. And I always have such a good time talking to this particular soul. Uh, I've got a couple events coming up. Speaking of talking, now these are a ways out, but I like to plug a ways out because they might involve travel. Uh, the first one's Paleo FX, April 24th through 26, 2020. 
then uh, I'll be speaking at Meet Delic in Los Angeles, May 2nd or 3rd. It's kind of a psychedelic symposium with Dave Asprey and Chris Ryan and tons of other fantastic speakers. You can find uh, information and tickets to my upcoming events at lukestory.com forward slash events. See how that works? Quite clever, huh? Speaking of my website, if you go to lukestory.com forward slash store, you will find all of my favorite uh, biohacking tools, technologies, anti-aging, healing supplements, devices, etc. cetera. Uh, again, lukestory.com forward slash store. What you'll also find at that link are all of my fantastic sponsors. And the first one that I want to give a shout out to is Peak Tea. I, this is like my secret weapon with my guests when they come over is offering them a cup of tea. They're expecting a regular old generic like bag of tea, Lipton or some shit, um, or, you know, even like some weird fake flavored loose tea or something. Uh, I often avoid tea just because it's swag in many cases, but peak tea is freaking awesome because it's a concentrated powder that you can just stir up in, in cold or hot water. And it's got something like six times the antioxidants and flavor of regular tea. I think tea is kind of like colored water to me at times. The peak tea is so potent and amazing. So it's much healthier and like has more of a antioxidant and just supercharged, superfood, super herb kind of power than your average tea, but it just tastes so much better because it's really strong. So in fact, I had a friend over uh, just last night. She was familiar with peak tea, uh, but had not tried all of the flavors that I had in my secret um, tea cabinet. Of course, peak tea sends me all of their teas, including their very rarefied puer tea, which by the way, the puer tea does not count if you get the discount code that I'm about to give you because it's rare uh, and they don't always have it. Uh, But anyway, gave homegirl a tea and um, she was like freaking out at how good it is. And every time I have a guest come over, as I said, I give them one of these teas and I've yet to have one be like, meh. They're always like, oh my God, what is this tea? So if you want to check it out, I highly encourage you to do so. It's also a great alternative to coffee, as you've probably heard me talk about if you're a regular listener. Um, Sometimes in the afternoon, I want a little pick-me-up, but a tea is a little too, I mean, a a coffee is a little too hardcore. I don't want to get that boosted later in the day, but I can get away with like, you know, the peak tea, green tea, or the English breakfast or something like that, which is a little bit lighter weight caffeine, but also perks me up a little bit. So you can find them in my online store, as I said, lukestory.com forward slash store, or go directly to the Peak Tea site, which is spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A. So peak with P-I-Q-E, peaktea.com. That's peaktea.com. The code there to save 10% off which is pretty substantial, actually, because these teas, I mean, I wouldn't say they're overpriced by any stretch. You get your value, but it's not like getting some Lipton at the grocery store. It's like real, organic, beautiful, amazing tea. So that 10% code is going to be LukeStory at PeakTea.com. And while you're at it, you can add some Beekeepers Naturals honey to that tea and just have the bomb-ass tea of your life. You can go to BeekeepersNaturals.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15% off. They uh, not only sell honey, but a number of other fantastic bee products. Uh, what the one I use daily is the Propolis throat spray. It's like the it's like the, you know a flu shot that doesn't also kill you. Uh, you can go to foursigmatic.com, 
forward slash the lifestylist and use the code the lifestylist to save 15% off your awesome medicinal mushroom little travel packets. And also what I really love from Four Sigmatic, and I hope I talk about it enough, is their instant coffee. That's that's my secret weapon for travel, man. I do not travel at all ever without the Four Sigmatic little coffee packets. They're mold-free. They're infused with lion's mane and, uh, you know, your medicinal mushrooms and whatnot. They taste really good. They're super strong and, like, they're just powder. Like, it's like an instant coffee and you can just throw it in cold water, hot water. When I'm on an airplane sometimes, if I'm, you know, going kind of keto and not eating and want some energy, I will um, just put one of those packets in my water bottle and shake it up. And I'm like, ha ha, I have a kind of iced coffee. And you guys are drinking plain water tank coffee. <laughs> full of, I don't know, God knows what. By the way, I, I talk to people that work on um, planes as frequently as I can, and I kind of ask them how things work because I find planes just to be so gnarly. And um, I've gotten some really gross accounts of like what happens in the tanks where the water comes from that they serve you drinks and ice and things like that. So just as an aside, a little bonus lesson at the very end of this episode, as if you didn't learn enough already, do not ever drink like tea or coffee on an airplane. Uh, those tanks are washed out when they're washed out. Um, so there's, you know, bacteria and just grossness in them. But when they wash them out, they use really caustic chemicals and then they don't wash out the chemicals all the way and they're just disgusting. So um, you can solve that problem by just getting a bottled water and having a Four Sigmatic mushroom or coffee packet with you. That's what's up. All right. So I think that's it. Uh, at this point, I am rambling because I'm just so excited about uh, 2020. And also, uh, it's Monday as I record this, and I'm trying to avoid doing real work by just talking on this microphone. So I'm going to stop that as one of my New Year's resolution is to uh, procrastinate less and conquer more. So here I go off into the world. Uh, I'll be back at you Friday, as I said earlier, with the Q&A episode, a solo show about biohacking your car, doing uh, nature therapy in cold climates, my top uh, worst and best vices. Sunday, uh, a bonus rebroadcast of my appearance on the Den Talks podcast. And then Tuesday, back at you with EMF Solutions, harmonizing your home and travel with Soma Vedic, which is a really cool episode for people that are concerned with such things as you should be in a healthy way. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. This is going to be our year. I'm so hopeful and so faithful that 2020 is going to deliver some amazing opportunities for all of us. You can look forward to not only tons of great podcast episodes, but some projects that I have in the works that I'm really excited about. And um, a couple of those projects involved you having the opportunity to come hang out with me and do some of the things that we talk about on the show in real life, in real time, in a really cool location. So drop a little hint there and you can look forward to announcements on that coming soon as those ideas become reality. God bless you. Welcome to the new year.